Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with another review, and it's a book review, not a movie or a TV show review. We're doing a book review, and something, of course, it's like I said in the intro, it's all geeky and pop culture when it comes to this stuff, so we're talking about Star Wars, and I've teased about this episode before, and like how every latest past two episodes of Star Wars, I've had two specific guests with me, and they're back with me today. But if you haven't listened to those episodes, I say go check it out on iTunes and check out the review, the commentary track to Star Wars: The Force Awakens and our Rogue One review. But until then, you can listen to this episode and guest who is with me today. It's, It's me, Robert Effinger. Hi. I had a burp there. And Dakota Weekend, like always. Oh, yes, like always. Like always, Tim. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a great game to you. Don't you think so, Dakota? Oh, great day. Oh, yes, yes. So, and what we what we are actually reviewing is we're going into the... We're going to new territory here. We're going into what now is called Star Wars Legends. The expanded universe of the Star Wars mythos. Dun, dun, dun. Some, something that... Somebody's been fearing. Me. Yeah, Dakota, you've been fearing that we're going to be doing this. And why is that? Before we even review what review uh, reveal what we're talking about. Well, you guys brought this up when we did the um, Force, Awakens. Force Awakens commentary. And it's just like, it scared the living hell out of me. Because how far down the rabbit hole do you go? You two are like fucking Morpheus. And like, you take the blue pill and go down the rabbit hole. Or you can take the red pill and wake Oh, no, I flip flop. Red pill to go down the rabbit hole, blue pill to wake up in your bed like nothing ever happened. Of course, I took the red pill. You fucks! <sighs> so we're going to be talking about... My life is ruined! We're going to be... It's all Star Wars everywhere! Oh, this is paperback Oh, this is paperback books! <laughs> <laughs> it's like half discarded and like, you know... Back's broken and slaying everywhere. Uh, and he, like my room is like a, the opening scene from Moulin Rouge. Just like <laughs> papers all on the walls. Just, just... Each page <laughs> is stapled to the wall and everything. <laughs> so we're starting the Thrawn trilogy today with the Heir to the Empire. So let's jump into that right now. <laughs> So, as like I said before, this is actually part of the expanded universe of Star Wars and everything like that. So, Rob, I'll ask you this question first. When did you get introduced to the expanded universe when it comes to Star Wars? Um, when I played the first Knights of the Republic video game. Mm. I guess that was technically the EU. Uh, I don't really know where they where that falls in, in, the, in that scale. I guess now it's it's all EU. But from there, I was like, oh, this turns out there's more Star Wars out there. And then once you say that, it's it's over. <laughs> You've doomed yourself forever. I mean, like, you think... I don't know, like, I, I assume there's probably new stuff written for Tolkien and everything like that. You have the Similarian in compar- like as a companion piece to Lord of the Rings and everything like that. But it's not too much. I guess there's other stuff that's been published about Middle-earth and everything like that. But it's nothing compared to how Star Wars is when it comes to its own mythology and world-building. And Dakota, 
what was your first react? Like, I know, like, we've made jokes, stuff like that, but, like, if you're going were you on, actually hesitant for the EU? Oh, I was extremely hesitant. But if mentioned, he, Rob mentioned the video games, and I guess I was all, I guess I was introduced to the EU and through the video games. We're playing Star Wars Bounty Hunter and Pod Racing and um, and the Bal- and Battlefront on PS2. Yeah, yeah. I guess you, I mean, like even like Battlefront like has like replications of, of certain battles that have actually happened in the movies and everything. But there's yeah, a bunch fuck, of battles I, that, that part takes over the entire galaxy with me behind the controls there. Yeah, I mean, fuck, Galactic Conquest is my shit. <laughs> I mean, I remember once in Galactic Conquest, you must take over other planets. Yes. I, <laughs> I remember I was playing Battlefront once. Anyway, I was playing Hoth and I was playing. I was playing as the Rebellion, and like how Battlefront was, you get 250 men each team, yeah. right? It's like it's captured the flag with 250. Yeah, it ended up down, down to being one on one, you and I and I was like, "Where is he?" Because Hoth is gigantic, and then just following I, him, capture flags. I'm like, "All right, he's got to be going to here." And came around the corner, and he, I just got the drop on him and killed him, and I was the last man standing for that. I mean, Zach, I remember watching Zach play it, and he was, he was, it was, he was the last one, and he had 25 guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he came back and won that round. Really? He killed 25 guys in a row. <laughs> it was the most Isley's map, too. So oh, geez, a lot, so of, a lot of nooks and crannies yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. <sighs> but I was hesitant about the actual EU with the books and stuff because I, it because it's like infinite there's so many books out there and it's like oh well you can read this book and like go down this I, journey or you can read this book and go here or you you're can go down a path that bo- I can't follow yeah, as, you, as you're, you're going to say <laughs> why must you go where I cannot follow oh <laughs> No, but it's it's intimid one. It's intimidating because of how much material is out there. Yeah, like where do you start? And two, it's like okay, so anyone could just like, oh yeah, expanding universe here. Uh, Luke and uh, Leia have a incest baby. Well, I mean that could you could. Yes, I mean like there was a guy employed by Lucas like Lucas like Lucasfilm and then Lucasfilm like as like publications where. He was the keeper of continuity. Well, here's actually a fun fact that I read recently. Lucas admitted that the, he thought the expanded universe was not in line with his universe. It was just like, if take Star Wars and put it in an alternate dimension. He would take the real story in one direction. The expanded universe would take the actual story in a different direction. He didn't discredit it. It just... Completely different. He just could treat it like a different animal. So kind of like how J.J. Ames had like the Kelvin timeline for Star Trek and everything like that, where like certain things are true, but it's going off in its own direction. Yes. Hmm. I guess I, I guess if you want to justify it like that, I think maybe people will be more open to the Kelvin timeline for Star Trek than as compared to others. Like, yeah, he pure... said it's like a tr- transparent time, like it's a transparent universe. Or something like that. You can just lay like a piece of like sketch paper over on top of the original one, and then just go anywhere you want. Okay, it sounded better in my head. It's all good. I mean, no, actually, if you think about it, that analogy really does make sense because you trace the original, and then you're like, okay, well, I have this trace now. I can draw it anywhere I want on it. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Rob is on right. my side. The visualization. Well, because you guys are on the same couch, of course. You guys are gonna be on the same side. Yeah, the same team here. Couch. Yeah. Couch team. Couch team. Couch team. And I got my rolling, rolling chair. chair. Rolling chair over here. Two on one. 
So, what, all right, so this is like the beginning of the Thrawn trilogy. Like, Rob, when did you get introduced to these series of books? Well, this was like a bucket list read for me. Um, and after I got out of graduate school and I didn't want to read books for a while, I didn't. But then I said, okay, well, I need to remember why reading is really fun. So I decided to uh, pick up this trilogy first. And uh, I had a hell of a time getting it uh, digitally from the library. And apparently print copies of this doesn't exist. So... I mean, I know they exist, but I was like, well, why am I going to pay money for it when I have this thing called a library card <laughs> which my taxes pay for? So, uh... Which is fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're not being unreasonable there. So I eventually was able to get an e-copy of it, and uh, I read through it. It was just like... Something I... I don't know when I first was introduced to it, but I mean, it was just something that was always on the back of my mind, like, I gotta read that series. Right. Um... I guess I can answer both these, both these questions. I was introduced really to the EU... Like you said, with the video games and everything like that. But, like, it wasn't become – it didn't become solidified for me until I saw an article from IGN.com. And it was called The Top 40 Stories – Star Wars Stories that's remade into movies. And it would – it was a brief synopsis of each of these four 40 st- stories. And, like, w- like here's a synopsis. Why it should be made and, like, who would be the director for it. And, like, as was introduced, like, Death Troopers, which is pretty much a zombie uh, story set in Star Wars and everything like that. The – uh, dark like um, Dark Jedi comic book series and everything that uh, I've uh, was it IDW or Image I forget which publisher did that. The Thrawn trilogy was another one. Um, the most the, the Cantina uh, there was a, I don't know if it was a comic book series or it was a book based about just the things that are going on in the Cantina bar and most Eisley, which I feel like if you're gonna do a Star Wars TV show which they've been threatening to do for years, you set in the Cantina bar. You have like. A few sets on Tatooine, and maybe a few times you go on ships and stuff like that, and just all the people coming in through the door. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is, it's like, hey, we have these set characters. It's kind of like how Buffy is, like, where you had the high school and a few of those sets, and you always came back to them, and characters that show up in one episode can show up later and everything like that. And so I was, so I'm pulling for a Cantina Bar show. Do you just want Cheers? Be honest here. Isn't that basically <laughs> what that is? I didn't even think of it like that. <laughs> However, I want to take the Cheers theme song and put it under the Cantina Bar scene now. Everybody knows your name. Dun, 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 dun. And they always glad you came. I just, I just want the giant cricket to be Norm now. <laughs> well, I, uh... <laughs> Uh, and then what? You give Fr- the Frasier character his own spinoff. He goes to fucking Star Wars Seattle. Yes. <laughs> Good God, Niles. Which reminds <laughs> me of a story of you and I playing Call of Duty yeah. at one point, where I broke out the Frasier impression that I do while we're playing that, and like the God Six Niles, they're throwing grenades at us. <laughs> and for some reason, that cracked you up. Like yeah, I think I broke you the first time you heard that from me. It's still, it's hysterical. I mean, come on, really think about, like, Frazier shouting, Good God, Nas, the throwing grenades! And that's why I always thought it was, like, weird when he was cast as Beast in X-Men United and everything like that. Or no, X-Men The Last Stand. And I'm like, really? Frazier as Beast? But, okay! Fun fact, they couldn't get him to uh, make a cameo appearance in Deadpool. Because they wanted to end the movie with Beast taking a shit on Deadpool's lawn. Because that was one of the joke, jokes that Deadpool throws out in there. Yeah. And they wanted to make it like him actually complaining about it. Right. So. And what, you just said no? Yeah, you know? Kelsey Grammer said no. Absolutely not. 
Standards. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Star Wars. Yes. And so Thrawn Trilogy, actually, my brother-in-law is actually upstairs right now. He's the one who, like, first introduced me to, like, the idea of, like, the Thrawn Trilogy. And considered it, like, this is, like, this is before the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm, like, Lucasfilm and everything like that. So this was 789 to people in people's minds. And rightly so. I do believe that kind of, uh... I, that kind of thought process is warranted. And so let's jump into Heir to the Empire and opens up with the Chimera Star Destroyer in space. The last frontier. <laughs> like I was trying to make it as dramatic as possible. Oh my god, this is going down <laughs> this is going down schlocks so quickly. Captain Pelion Log, Stardate, whatever, on the Chimera. <laughs> <laughs> We have insubordinate uh, crew. Insubordinate lieutenants yelling about the bridge. I cannot stand this any longer. And my admirals wanted to creep me out by sitting in the dark as he observed art. So yes, we have we have Captain Pellion, the second command of the Chimera, and we're introduced to Grand Admiral Thrawn. Woo! First time you reading this, or like, how did you react to Thrawn's entrance? Well... To be honest with you, I had it. Uh, I read this through the audiobook. Yes. So as did I. Yeah. So so the, we listened to it. Then. You listened to it technically, yeah. but it is word for word. Um, and just the presence, the description of him sitting in his dark room with his glowing red eyes, just like holy crap, this thing is. What is this thing? Mm. And it's intel. Just this beyond intelligent, um, beyond intelligent admiral, and you just kind of. As a villain, you absolutely instantaneously fall in love with this character mm. because he's just so intimidating. You're like, the possibilities are endless what he can do. Yes. And then just how he can like, it's a little bit, I have a little bit of a complaint later on, but like at, at first it's like he can come up with literally anything to beat anyone. Yes. It's crazy. And how does he do it? Through art. Yes. He studies the enemy, the enemy's artwork, like, by species. Yes. And in his command room, he actually has the holographic images of these artworks pop up so he can study them and then figure out how they think. And I guess the thought process is behind it is, like, what they covet and what they cherish. Right. It's a show and representation of art. And it's like, all right, if that's what they really cherish, and like, that's how you could think about how they would do it in the military standpoint. Your feelings on Thrawn, Rob. Uh, well, I, I had sort of a weird introduction in that I knew of Thrawn before I read the Thrawn trilogy. I didn't know, like, his character arc or anything like that, but I knew he was a chiss, and so I know what they're about. And so I'm not saying the scene didn't have gravitas, necessarily, but um, it certainly was not the angle that I kind of expected it to go. Right. I guess from what my perception of who Thrawn was, and then versus, oh, is this dude just looking at art? Like, I look at art sometimes. Am I a bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, every person in the Met is just a villain in disguise. That's yeah. why... I'm... Yeah, I mean... But yeah, I thought it was it was a cool introduction. Definitely a, a way to sort of set Thrawn apart immediately as not your typical, you know, cackling villain. Yes. And I think that's a important point, because up until this point, you had the original trilogy, so you had Darth Vader all in black, and he he would kill his subordinates if they got out of uh, um, out of line and failed him. You had the Emperor all in black and was also evil and the only person that Darth Vader would yield to. And so you have this immediately star conscious because he's wearing the all white Admiral uniform, mm-hmm. something that we actually never really saw 
in the original six movies. You never saw the Grand Admiral Thrawn, like the Grand Admiral uniform. No. It was always the gray uniforms with the multiple insignias on their chest yeah. to show their rank. Either the gray or black uniforms. Yes. <laughs> and so that alone, you're like, okay, this you obviously know this guy's a heavy hitter. And you have Captain Pellion's kind of like exposition about like if Thrawn was at the Battle of Endor, would have Endor gone differently? Would they have lost... Would they have lost the Death Star? Would have the Emperor survived, etc., etc.? Mm-hmm. And then you have him setting art. And he's not like, like, ooh, I'm torturing a, a prisoner for information or anything. Something like, as you say, that the, could almost be like mustache twirling cliches right, for a villain. Right. But no, he's studying art. So you obviously know the person. The man is cultured and he's very precise in what his actions are and everything. But he's not rude or he's not like degrading of anybody who's not as intelligent as him like he knows Pellion is not the sharp he's not up on the same level as his when it comes to strategy and everything like that and he kind of tests Pellion to see like all right let's see if you can really grasp what I'm looking at and that goes throughout the rest of the book mm-hmm. he's almost yeah I do get that this is sort of a sidebar uh no bar but I do get the sense he's almost grooming Pellion yes because yeah. he knows eventually he'll have to do something on his own you know, maybe he won't. Thrawn is not saying, "Well, I'm going to get killed, so therefore I need to be replaced." But like, <laughs> yeah, he's going to do something eventually. He needs to be ready. I mean, by no means, Pellion is not like stupid at all. No, I mean, he's he's very sharp for being a captain. Of course, uh, it's just that Thrawn is just beyond the ki- like beyond has like intelligence beyond normal people. Right? Yeah. Even for a captain of a star destroyer, of a grand star destroyer like the Chimera, I mean, I mean, technically Pelion uh, like inherited the role because mm-hmm. the captain, the original captain of the Chimera, passed away during the Battle of Endor. Yeah, but still, you don't become a captain of a star destroyer in the Imperial Navy by just pure stupidity. No, no, no. Um, not at all. We're going back like no, sidebar and sidebar, sidebarception. Sidebar to the sidebar. Sidebar Inception. Like 16 different walls. <laughs> um, I love like the fact that they the, these books, the Throne Trilogy, highlight the rivalry between the Imperial Navy and the Imperial troops. Yeah, in a way they do. And, and like this thing, like as Dark Force opens up with like an Imperial trooper just like waiting on the Imperial Navy, and he's like, "All right, we got we go wait for air support." He's like, "We got to wait on air support because they're the." They're the aces. They're the mavericks and everything like that. And they think they're like their hot, shit the don't stink. Yeah. yeah, which I could totally see that actually happening amongst the imperial uh, forces. Right. I mean, it does. It happens in our mill. Yeah, our totally. Military. I mean, like yeah. flyboy, the flyboys and the flyboys and the, the air force, the grunts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so we cut to Coruscant, and Obi Wan Kenobi visits uh, Luke Skywalker in a vision. Or in a dream, and he's saying, "All right, peace. I'm out, you bitches." Pretty much, okay. <laughs> Why now? Why this instant? Instance, I should say. I don't know. Maybe it's symbolic of of Luke's journey. I don't. I don't know. I. I the only like explanation I think is that so he would not have he would not have counsel advice. At his ready throughout the, this story. Right. Well, I think it's more to set up the fact that Sabaoth is going to be talking to Luke through the Force. And you don't want that being too confusing where Luke will probably, his head will blow up. Where 
Sabiroth is like, come join me, Luke Skywalker. And Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, that's a bad idea, Luke. <laughs> it was imagining, like, this beatnik Obi-Wan with sunglasses on with your two finger guns. Like, like, hey, Luke, don't go there. <laughs> I'm enjoying my vacation in the Force afterlife. With a little umbrella in his drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sipping p- pina coladas out of coconut. What's a pina colada? <laughs> Or, or, or the hot... Have Lando show you. He'll show you many drinks. <laughs> like hot... Coke, uh, hot chocolate. Chocolate. It, the way that the audiobook oh, yeah. pronounces hot chocolate is like, they're like, what? It's like Spongebob, like two salads. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, sir? It's called hot chocolate. It's like... I'm sorry, Master Luke. Were you having a stroke? <laughs> I mean, Han has had a stroke with how this audiobook is being read. But yeah. nothing to take away from... I love, like... Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, but... <laughs> Which, like, that's so dumb. Like, look, okay, people... Why? Have, like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> are you saying they don't have, like, some sweet uh, sweet substance that they boil in, like, milk or something? Like, is it really that far-fetched to be, like, hot chocolate in Star Wars? What? It's because it's my just, mind. Because Star Wars is so separated by I space know. and time that like something that is so readily available in our world being in that one just seems kind of I don't know galactic Swissmas. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> I I don't know. It, that that was distracting. I was like, come on, guys, come on. That's not terrible. It doesn't derail anything, but it's, it's no. just a funny thing to highlight. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, Leia is pregnant with twins. <laughs> Glad that three PO didn't fucking that up. No, he, he glow rod was not a cock block in a uh, galaxy far, far away <laughs> in the reflected world. <laughs> I just no, no. <laughs> I just have horrible things. Uh, I, I, let, let's move on. I mean, <laughs> based off our, our torture ideas, if we we spouse at the no, beginning of Rogue like, One, like right before like uh, Han and Leia try it, it's like Lando. Take Goldenrod Air for like an hour or two. Don't want any interruptions this time. You got it, Han. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, hey, C-3PO, you want to see my quarter? What's a quarter? I'll show you. We're just making a Two-Face uh, reference there. Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. Over the head. Over the head, yeah. I mean, it was, I, it, never mind. I'm going to leave it there. So, Leia is part of the New Republic rebuilding uh, after the Battle of Endor and rebuilding the Republic once the fall of the Empire is happening. And so, and they realize the Republic doesn't have any new, doesn't have that many ships for trade, for sending out supplies and anything like that. If there's a trade federation going on right now, I don't know, they could be kind of helpful right now, but... I got some bad news. Yeah, I mean, they... Is it legal? (laughs) I will make it legal. (laughs) See, it would be important right now, just saying. So Han and Chewie are off-world in Tatooine, meeting up with a smuggler named Dravis, talking about, like, hey, we'll give you carte blanche to be smugglers. Right. You just have to be for the Republic. And yeah. everybody's like, no way, because Akbar, Adm- Admiral Akbar, there we go. I was waiting for this one of you two to say that. <laughs> um... The Calamarians are like are very hesitant when it comes to smugglers, and they don't want to deal with them whatsoever. And so all the smugglers are aware of that, 
And they're like, I don't know, it seems like a sting operation that the Republic's going to pull on us. Your feelings in this kind of development of trying to align yourself with smugglers? I mean, I, it, to me it makes sense, right? Like, uh, when you're looking for trade, I mean, who, who's the best people to do it then? The people who are doing it illegally under your noses constantly. And they're successful at it. And they're successful, yeah. So, like, if you're trying to, you know, build a trade network, it's like, well, let's ask these people who already know what they're doing. Yes. Instead of, like, getting some idiot, like, here's a starship, go do trade. Go trade! <laughs> yeah, guys! <laughs> it's like, get Homer Simpson to be your starship uh, commander. Don't. Uh, bring it like uh, medicine to a, a war-torn planet and everything like that. I mean, yeah, you, you go from like the Starship Enterprise to like the the, the one, the Planet Express ship, <laughs> making deliveries. <laughs> at that point, you just you'd brought, you want the the crew of the Serenity to bring shit to you. At that point, yeah, God. Yeah. Oh man, it's a Firefly joke. Yep. Oh, that's why I don't get brown, it. brown yeah. shirts. Yeah, brown coats. Brown coats. Got brown coats. Yep. Dakota, you want to weigh in on this situation? Nah. No, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense for like the uh, the Republic. Like, okay, we need to get trade going, so we'll grant you um, grant you temporary asylum to help get it started. And once like we do get it going, you can do about whatever you want. And obviously, it's like okay, sounds fair enough. But we work on both sides here, and working on one side is not profitable at all. Yeah, because the Imperial. The the empire, the remnants of it, are still using smug. They need smugglers as well. Yeah, they they use the smugglers as well to get certain things in and out. And yeah, they it makes sense that the republic tr- is trying to do this, but at the same time, it's like okay, you understand why the smugglers aren't. Yeah. So yeah. At the same time, speaking of smugglers, we are introduced to Talon Card and Mara Jade. His Talon his uh, subordinate and like right hand, uh, his second in command, I should say. On the planet, I forget the name of the planet, but the planet is filled with Islamari, this kind of tree-dwelling creature that blocks the Force from being surrounding them and everything like that. So, your feelings on Card, Jade, and the Islamari as a creatures themselves being introduced in this moment? Well, uh, my, my first thought with Islamari when I saw that is like, oh, here we go. Here's the, here's the MacGuffin. Yeah. And I was like, this is, I look, the warning signs are going up and I'm like, I don't want to know if I want to go down this train tunnel that says, don't, don't, this is, here lies plot device. Yes. But luckily it ends up, it ends up really, I think, fitting in nicely. I, I didn't begrudge it after it was used in its place. But I mean, I don't know, I, I like, I like the idea of this smuggling network existing because if you think about it, right, like when the Empire is defeated, there's a gigantic power vacuum. So it's the perfect opportunity for some smuggler chief to bring all the smugglers together and be like, all right, guys. We're in charge now. Yeah. And he's been, and Card's pretty much taken over Jabba the Hutt's position once Jabba's been murdered yeah, by even, Leia. Even so he's so. the one with the biggest network at this point. Right. And that he plays it so cool and he's always, you never see him out of, you never see him sweat. No. And he always seems like, even no. like, despite how pressured the situation is, he always seems to be in control. Same could have you say from RJ, who is very emotional. Yes. And your feelings on her. Uh, Marjade's cool. Uh, the I think, I think maybe the the biggest flaw that she has not that she has maybe that her development has is that it takes a very long time for her character to develop. 
Which I understand why. Yes, because we have two of the books to do. Right, but at least it, it takes a long time to get kind of a sense of where she stands right. on things. And so like that kind of elusive nature fits her character perfectly. But it also makes it frustrating because she's like, who are you? Am I supposed to like you? Are you going to stab me in the back? I, and I, I know I, I can see where you're coming from there, but don't you think that makes her more interesting because it leaves that desire there? Like, I want to know. Do you oh, think, yeah. Do you think it ever gets to the point, like, I don't care at this point? No, that, and, that's, and the, the whole book, my first thought was, what if Mara J was on screen right now? Could we learn more about her? Right. If she wasn't, like, I don't know, flying a ship or something. Right. Dakota? Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out what the planet was called that uh, Card's located on. Uh, your opinion on Card, you said? Card, Jade, and the Islamari themselves. Okay, so Card, I like. I really like Card. I mean, it's a good... I mean, obviously we're used to Job of the Hutt running things, so... And also when you have Han Solo's reactions, like, Down, Card, he's a little, he was a little nobody. Well, how is he in control? That dipshit. That dipshit? Oh my god, Chewie. Things have gone to hell in a handbasket. Things have gone mean... to hell in a handbasket here on Tatooine, I can tell you that. Chewie's <laughs> poking Todd's <laughs> face is wondering what's wrong with it. My face is fucking rock hard, Chewie. Chewie, I stroked out. <laughs> I apologize people who have dealt with strokes or have fan of this, but I mean. It, it just, the voice acting in the audiobooks for each character. Are hit or miss. It, very hit or miss. Really? But each character are. Overall, it's good. It's acceptable, but each character, like you can, like he- like he- you can make fun of something very unique with each character. For me, Han Solo sounds like he has that cock, one eye cocked, and like, and his mouth. He's talking out of the side of his mouth permanently. <laughs> like his face is frozen, and that's the only way he can talk is just out of the side of his mouth, like with the stupid face on. Yeah, like how I was the first. To now imagine Pelotalk with that, that face. What? Imagine Pellet talk with that face. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing tonight? <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, but you get introduced to Talon Carter as, like, this kind of unknown character because Han Solo is like, who the hell? Really, Talon Card? Yeah. It's like he was, like, what? Like, not even, like, in the top ten smugglers that he would have, like, suggested put, right. take over. But he took over. And, um, and what, from when you're introduced to Talon Card, it's like, it's just, like, Almost like an equal to Grand Admiral Thrawn, like the way you could, where he thinks about everything. Yes. Because for Card, intelligence is more valuable than actual goods. So he he benef- and he loves getting intelligence. He like he oh, actually he- risks himself sometimes to get more information on something mm. um, because it might benefit either him or it might benefit someone else that he could sell it to. Right. So I really like Card, and I like Card throughout the entire series itself. Yeah. Um, Mara Jade, she does take a while to, like, come around, because she's a very abrasive character at first. You're going, like, what's what's up her ass? Like, seriously. She has a bug up her ass for most of the book. Mm -hmm. And we don't find... It's called Luke Skywalker. (laughs) In more ways than one. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, something fair. (laughs) I'm like, am I wrong in the assessments? (laughs) That's not like, in this trilogy, though. Yeah, it's not, not as discussed. Just sadness. <laughs> Disappointment. <laughs> okay, but no, yeah, Marjay is a very abrasive person. She has a chip on her shoulder, and we really don't know what it is until later on in the book. Yeah. 
So, do you want to spoil that now or wait? Let's put, we'll put her pants in. Okay, we'll, we'll, but we'll yeah, that she's when the book just cranky, it. but she's also very skilled in what she does. She's very intelligent. She's very cunning. Um, she thinks ruthless. She's very ruthless. She can be ruthless, yeah. and like Card has to kind of reel her in sometimes. Yeah, and like I mean, when we're first introduced to these two characters, uh, Card is pretty much giving her a promotion, and she's like, "What's the catch?" Like, she's almost thinking, like, he's trying to get into her pants a little bit at this moment. Because, like, I want to have dinner with you, a private dinner with you yes. in my quarters. It's like, what are you getting at here? Mm. Uh, but then, like, the whole promotion thing and that how he wants to groom her to be her, to be his second in command and all that stuff because she has so much promise. Right. It's like, there's a lot more to this. I mean, even Thrawn, uh, not Thrawn, sorry. Card. Card hints at the fact that there's a lot that he doesn't know about uh, Mara Jade. And the audience, the reader, obviously doesn't know. So it's really inter- <coughs> interesting learning more about her as the series goes on. Like, you and Card kind of discover this at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the <coughs> Just dying on a Dorito, sorry. Um, the Ishlin Mari, it sound- I did not know what the hell they were going to be used for. Right. And then it's like, then you see it later on with, you get to Sabayoth, you go like, ah. Okay, but I, initially I thought these were a one-and-done creature, like, okay, in this book only. Yeah. But it turns out this entire trilogy has Ishlamari, like, you have to deal with Ishlamari, which actually provides a nice little, kind of convenient plot, like, plot points where Luke can't use the Force and all that stuff. Yeah, especially later in this book. Later in this book, and then later in book three. Yes. So... It's 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 useful to sort of eliminate the the easiest get out of jail free card that is used to create all the plot holes. It's like okay, well, what's the easiest way to get a detective to be a better detective? Will he take away his badge? Because then he can't call upon his authority. He has to do it the old fashioned way. It's the same thing. Like Luke can't rely on the force. He's got to learn to not use it in certain circumstances, which is cool because it, it it strengthens his character. And if you want to like be really super nerdy, you can be like, but that's part of the Jedi training. Yeah, yeah. All your skills. I mean, do you think that was a conscious thing on Zon, on Timothy Zahn's ideas? Like, all right, Luke having the access to the Force the entire time would make it troublesome for him to write. It, yes, I, I definitely think so. It solves that problem. Okay, especially in, uh, to me, it's especially a universe where, at least initially, you don't set up a clear opponent in the Force to Luke, so he's really just running rampant. With this being the super powerful force user, right? And who's who's going to stop him? Some jackass with a blaster rifle? Like, yeah, we've like seen what, him, yeah, defend himself against dozens of those guys, and right. no problem. Um, ooh. sorry, folks, my phone went off. Um, yeah, so this learning, like, like I, I, I agree with you. First time I hear about, him, like, they can happen the force in their general vicinity, and I'm like. There was a moment of pause. I'm like, all right, I'll see where this goes. I hope it's not to become just a convenient plot device and everything like that. And it is, it is a plot device, but it's fostered and it's kind of built up and it makes it worth it. And it's not like a one and done thing and everything. So, no, which is yeah, shocking. I agree. Um, it wasn't a one and done. So Thrawn comes to the planet, takes some Islamari off of him. And I don't think Card asked for payment. I think he for money. I think he just asked for information or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Card asks if uh, he's like, oh, my, it's simple enough, but it needs to be shown how to remove the Ishlamari from their branches. And so he's like, okay, so I don't bother them. They come down here. I help them out, and I have my men 
watch them for several hours trying to figure out what the hell they're doing with these Islamari. Right. That's his payment to watch what they're doing. Do you think he knows of their qualities? It's rumored. I mean, I think Card has picked up that they can uh, they can push the Force away. Okay. But there's no hard proof until later on where Thrawn actually um, puts puts that theory to the test. Mm-hmm. So now, do you think Mar Jade is aware of their abilities at this point? I think at this point she suppressed most of her force force using power. Yeah. So I don't think it bothers her. Much she, like her memories of what happened since the Battle of Endor. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I'm not sure if this that they really truly affected her. Okay. And and if she really noticed what they were doing mm-hmm. because she wasn't even like the Bornskers, I believe they're called. Um, yeah, like the big dog thing. Yeah. That yeah. Card has. Yeah. Yeah. They they're force sensitive and. They they're not bothered by uh by Mara until her powers start coming back. Yeah, and then they start getting weird around her, and even right, Card right, like right. kind of like raises an eyebrow, like you you spend hours upon hours with her, and now you have issues with her. But the reason why Thrawn is going to get these is tomorrow. He goes to a planet called Wayland to look the uh, the old storage facilities that were ultra secret that the Emperor and maybe a handful of other people, if that knew. And on that planet, they come across Joris Sabaoth, a Jedi Master. Mm-hmm. Now, they actually came for a different person, but Joris Sabaoth killed that Jedi Master who used to be there. And Thrawn, uh, a Nogri bodyguard named Rook with Thrawn, Captain Pellion and a few others go upon Thrawn. And it's like, alright, we need your help. And... We can get you. We can get you what you want. It's like I don't need anything, and he tries to use his force powers on them, and they don't work. <laughs> Your feelings on Sabaoth's first appearance and his character introduced here? Um, well, so he, he referred to himself as a Jedi Master, but just judging by the introductory scene, you can kind of tell that he's no Jedi Master that we're, we're told is. I mean, think about it, right? So. At this point in in the story, the Jedi, you have to think of the Jedi Masters we know of are Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yoda, yes, Yoda and Luke combined to Yukel, whatever, <laughs> and you know, and Luke. So those are the three Jedi Masters we have. So Sabaoth is acting in very non traditional traditional ways, especially using Force Lightning, which from only exposure we have is a bad Jedi or dark Jedi technique. Yeah, which sidebar. The word Sith is not used. Right. It's Dark Jedi is the only yes. time it's used. This is before this term Sith was utilized by Lucas in the prequels. Yes. Yes. What What do you think sounds good? Do you like the the term Dark Jedi or Sith? I prefer the term Sith. Okay. But then again, not all not all Dark Jedi are Jedi are Sith. Yeah. Because of the introduction of the Rule of Two. So technically there's only two actual Sith Lords out there mm. at a time. The others are just either corrupt gray or dark Jedi. Right. Mm. So Kind I, of based on the idea of like Ronins are being like masterless samurais out there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like it's just like there's certain degrees of like you have Jedi, then you have those like tainted Jedi, then you have dark Jedi, then you have Sith. Mm. That's how I kind of looked at it. Mm. So, Jerus Sabaoth is definitely a dark Jedi. Right. Mainly because of his mental illness. Um, 
but he's not Sith yet. Not yet. I mean, if well, like if if Palpatine got his hands on him, then he'd yeah, like. But you're like, like I was to say, do you have any more thoughts on Sabbath right here? I was just going to mention that as far as Sith goes, you know, let me uh, pull out this card I got here. It says EU knowledge. <laughs> oh! So the Sith oh. refers to the Sith Empire, which is a thing that existed at the Fourth the Republic and is based out of Korriban. So it's actually a term for like a... It's not just referring... It does refer to Dark Jedi. It can. Yeah. But it's actually referred to like the Sith Empire, which is like, you know, if you ever play the Knights of the Republic game, that's who they fight is the Sith Empire. It's, huh. like, it's a whole big thing, like... There, there's actually a race of people called the True Sith. They have red skin and this weird features. They came from Korriban. Look, man, this is this is a whole big thing. It's a whole big thing. Look, you have if you have 50 hours of your life that you don't want to do anything with, go download a game called Star Wars Knights of the Republic. It's an online you know, you know MMO. You play it for free. Play through the story, and you'll see all this stuff. It's free. Zero dollars. I feel like everything I know is wrong. <laughs> it's about to change. Yeah. Our, I feel like if Dakota does do that, goes down that path, he may end up looking like Sabayoth by the end. There's like the long hair, the nails, everything like that, and just becoming a shrilly person. And This madness. is my podcast now, Timothy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except, except. Instead of it being broken paperback books, you like cans of Mountain Dew and like... Uh, like a horrible, glowing one computer screen. <laughs> He's just sitting, like, hunched over. Just, must finish main storyline. Like, I want my podcast listeners! <laughs> and imagine, like, uh, imagine, like his, his fingers have turned into, like, the cyborgs or, like, the androids in Ghost in the Shell where they have, like, the extension fingers. So it's, like, dozens of little fingers typing at the same time. Like, that's where yep. you're just, like, brrrr. Either I turn into Sabayoth or I turn into, like, the living, like, Reddit nerd. Oh, Le- no. Reddit troll. That's the dark timeline. <laughs> that's the mirror That's the mirror world where they have, like, mirror masks that could go back and forth between the two. Wow, we pull the DC Comics, uh, Reddit, and Star Wars right there. Whew. Woo! All right. Ric Flair. Oh, man. Boy. And with Sabayoth's uh, character. I think he's cool. I, I I mean, as far as his like his mental state, you can kind of see that there's not you know he's a couple shorts, a couple bats short of a bell fry, but he hasn't. Uh, but it doesn't like come into full force until later when you're like, oh no, this guy is he's really deranged. Yeah. Now he's just like, oh, he's just he he's been a, he's been alone for a while. He's an old coot. And yeah, like, exactly. Like, and in my village. <laughs> Do you think Thrawn realizes how deranged he is at this point? Not only does he notice, I don't think he cares. You think he's just like, yeah, it's too useful, though. Yeah, as he pets his Islamari on his shoulder that he yeah. has with him constantly from the next mm-hmm. two books. Uh, yeah, no, I really think that Thrawn knew exactly... He kind of knew exactly what he was getting himself into. Mm-hmm. He had a purpose for it, and he was going to ride out that purpose for as long as he can while Sabiath was useful, and then just said, okay, fuck it, kill him. Yeah. Which he almost... he. Was at the verge of doing until the third book. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I think he, it didn't take long for uh, for Thrawn to figure out that Sabaoth is fucked up. Yeah. A lot longer than, I mean, every, I mean, Pelion, Pelion figured out relatively quickly. Because well, I don't think he trusted him to begin with. No. And, he, mean, and he had every right not to trust him. Yeah, he tried, he, they, he tried to kill both of them right off the bat. 
I mean, granted... With Force Lightning. They did destroy a temple of his. Because well, they shot a bow and arrow at no, the No, it wasn't a temple. It was a house. Oh, it was a house, right. Yeah, because, like, I, who's going to t- take me to the Guardian of the Mountain? And then, <laughs> yeah, Thrawn gets hit with a bow and arrow. And it's like, okay. Teach him a lesson. And it's like, okay. Then it's like, okay. You have 30 seconds before I do it again. Then Samurai's like, I'll take you to the Guardian of the Mountain. And it's like, okay, old man. Leads him to there, and it's like, oh, I tricked you. Prepare to die. Sizzle. And then you have... I'm sorry, every time like, the lightning shoots out of the hands, I, for some reason, I have Dio singing in my head like Rainbow in the Dark. When there's lightning! Da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm weird like that. It's okay, but now, <sighs> like... If, they were, if like Dio was still alive, I could see Dio playing George Savage off in a movie. Just put him on a platform, and they make it look taller. But like, that's how he shoots his force lightning. He puts up the devil horns, and he shoots the force lightning that way. Uh, but yeah, no. holy dive off! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, along with the New Republic trying to have new trade with uh, smugglers, they, they decided like, hey. New planets with different cultures. We kind of need them on our side and everything like that. And Leia's like, you know what? I'll go and like be the liaison to this new planet. Like the uh... no, it wasn't like Leia saying I'll go. It's Mon Martha saying, "Oh, and Leia, you volunteer now. Do I have a choice? No. no. Oh yeah, okay. Mon Martha is portrayed kind of single-minded." In these books. Until initially. Like, initially, until she does develop, and we find out that she's not just an ice queen and everything like that, that she is concerned and heartfelt, but she's very businesslike. Yeah. I'm trying to get the New Republic off the ground. At yeah, point. and being that, like, the New Republic is very few on seasoned diplomats, she's going to lean heavily on Leia because she has practice in the core of Alderaan and in the Imperial Senate. Yes. So she so Leia knows how to play the game. So why not use her to death? Pretty much close, even despite the fact that she's three months pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I understand. But so Leia gets sent all across the galaxy on these peacekeeping missions. While at the same time, Admiral Akbar and a Bothan named Borsk Phelan pine for the true control of of political power within the new. I Republic. would say that. I don't think uh, Admiral Akbar is vying for power. I think he's he's just doing what he like. He thinks is right. He thinks is right, and he's trying. And he's almost like cut. He sees failure for what he is, and he's almost trying to like stop failure from going further. Yes, and failure's like, oh, you're getting my way. I'm going to like fuck with you. Yeah. So that's what I think that's what's truly happening there. Not okay. that not that Akbar is like, I'm gonna take over for my mothma eventually. <laughs> jiggle jiggle jiggle. Yeah, I, I just I feel like to me the way it was Akbar is portrayed is that he doesn't wanna be questioned in his authority. Not to say he's power hungry, but like he feels like okay, I'm the military leader, my word goes. Like I'm the military commander, you're not the commander, I'm the commander. I'm the captain now. Yeah, and and I, I think I think him like Monmatho, they're like, okay, look, we are a fledgling republic. Mm. We need all the help we can get. You can't be a you know fly by night supporter. It's either you're in or you're out. Like this is a big deal. Like we have a thing to put together. The empire is not going away. We're in a very vulnerable state. 
So they're trying. I think they're trying to. You know, like when the, the reason why they, Mon Mothma pushed the lasers around is like, look, uh, we need all the help we can get. This is not a. You can't just like be like, all right, uh, I'll see you guys later, and then show up six months later, and be like, hey, what did I miss? And it's like, oh, you know, putting together the Republic. <laughs> <laughs> it's to come back. It's just Mon Mothma playing the fiddle as Coruscant burns <laughs> exactly. around her. Yeah, they're in a very vulnerable state right now. People don't trust them. You know that they, they've mentioned, mentioned multiple times that like. There's a lot of unsettlement in the outer regions. Like, it's a, it's a bad time right now. I it's, mean, it's anything but safe. And I assume, like, since you are the history major, like, there's probably times in history yeah. that, like, so many times societies have tried to rebuild after a collapse. And oh yeah, for sure. And how unstable and I mean, we always have to go back to Nazi Germany in these podcasts. I mean, look at Germany after World War One. Yes. I mean, the 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 German uh, was it German mark? Oh, Their it was currency? so deeply. It was so it was the use- Deutsche mark. Yeah, yeah. German Deutsche mark. It was useless. They people would bring literal barrels, uh, of, barrels of money to yeah. to buy milk bread. and bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. It's kind of similar to. That. I mean, I don't know about the inflation in New no, Republic, I, but I mean, it's the instability of of what's going on. I mean, they're asking smugglers to open trade routes. It, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, because, like, okay, so let's get really, let's get really granular for a second here. Like, if you make a checklist of, like, okay, things that need to get in order, like, the New Republic, they don't have a currency. Like, how do you do business? Okay, well, they have to make a bank. Okay, so who's going to man the bank? I don't know, somebody. Okay. Well, the, the again. Yeah, it's like, okay, and then all these other people that have developed, like, are they our friends? I don't know. We have to go ask them, so we have to send some money. Do we just send, you know, Johnny in accounting? No, we should probably send a diplomat. How many diplomats do we have? Well, we have Leia. Okay, so Leia has to go. You know, it's like you know, like there's a lot of like day to day concerns that you know, you just like take for granted. It's like okay, well, I mean, this is stupid. Like okay, we'll have to draft, draft a constitution at some point. So like, well, they have to get together and be like, the fuck are we gonna do? Are we a senate again? Is this what we're doing, guys? <laughs> like, and they even like tried uh, the point of like having a senate. Like I think in the second book where they have a grand meeting of all like the heads of the new republic right, and how right. the meeting is getting so out of control at this point. This is when yeah. Phelan is is playing no qualms of what he wants to do and everything, and he's trying to push out Laird, and Akbar is still in prison at this point. Yes, right. spoilers, Akbar gets arrested by the end of this book. We'll get to why later. And, and you just wonder, like, oh, I'm like, no wonder the Empire is still existing years after. And I mean, like, nothing right. to, to take a, a swipe at the New Republic, but it's just saying how piss poor things are being run at the point. I mean, I understand why people are just like, do I really want to side with these people? Yeah. Like, say if I, uh, all right, say if I do side with the, the New Republic, I'm already, I'm already cutting out half, potentially half of my business but not doing it with the Empire. Mm-hmm. What happens if the New Republic fails and the Empire t- comes back? You think they're going to forget the fact that I sided with their no. enemy? I'm, I'm going to be blackballed. <laughs> <laughs> There'll not be a system in the galaxy that I can show my face on without a bounty hunter after me right. or anybody yeah. willing to do business with me. Yeah. So it, it's like... Yeah, and it's, so it's like Mon Mothma has to try. She's got to be the ice queen, but at the same time, like somebody needs to keep these cats herded. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if you really look at it, that perspective, um, there's since the Empire still had a lot of planets under their control, yeah. things aren't great, no. but it but there's certain things that are very stable that you yeah. can trust in. Yeah. It's like. Um, I mean, the imperial credits are probably like the dollar, the dollar, uh, American dollar in like in Star Wars, where it's dependable. This is what it is. Yeah. Okay, it, Republic credits, it's not as dependable because like their government is being held together by shoestring and bubblegum. Right. 
I mean, I mean, it, eventually they're going to get plaster on that thing. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's that there's that small scene in the cantina where that that um, this, is, this is not really a spoiler because it's a small scene. But Luke has to officiate over. Remember, someone's like, oh, "I'll pay you in Republic credits." And like, no uses out here. Nobody wants right. Them, so. And it's like, no, I want Imperial credits. And then like they, they were bickering about the exchange rate. And it goes to show, like, things are not set in stone anywhere. People, even the average citizen, is like, what What am I doing? I mean, the only, I, I, the only people who are probably making money right now are the smugglers. Yeah, absolutely. Because they know the ball's in their court, and they know both sides need help, as well as any other system that's not affiliated with either of those that need supplies or contraband or what have you. Mm-hmm. So I would love just to see a story from, like, Dravis's point of view now or something like that, or something just from a smuggler's point of view. During this time of disarray of the New Republic and the fledgling Empire. I mean, it really is the Wild West. Yeah. In yeah. all sense of the word. I'm just imagining it really. <laughs> I'm like, I want to see that story now. I'm sorry. So, Leia, despite Han's objections of being the diplomat, always going on assignment to recruit plants to come into the New Republic, goes with her, along with Chewie, um, and Luke. Like, the whole gang pretty much gets on the Falcon and goes to this planet. And, uh... Gee, gang, let's go head over to this, this random plant to talk to the natives. All right, Scooby. All right, Shaggy. Let me take the mystery <laughs> van across the galaxy. And <laughs> <laughs> just like this magic, the hand barbaro like two frames of animation <laughs> of the Falcon going through space right there. <laughs> They're all in the cockpit with the, like, dumb smiles on their face. Look, Ooh. gang, there's the planet that we're heading to. Oh, jeez, I hope it's okay. <laughs> Zoinks. <laughs> Some reason like this, remember like uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. They make fun of the Scooby Gang because Jay and Silent Bob run across Scooby and uh, the gang in real life. Right. And they make Daphne like a total like a total ditz, and like, and like they're like, well, I guess these are not the ghouls looking for. I mean, these don't look like evil girls. Ghouls, you fucking moron. Not ghouls, says Velma. <laughs> <laughs> and Velma's like, I wish they were girls. All this sexual and like, and Bowman just looks off in the distance, and Jim and Bob are just looking at each other, like, "What's wrong with these crew?" I mean, we got the stoner and the dog, uh, the jock, and everything, and just making fun of the stereotypes of the Scooby Gang at that point. Yeah. Um, but surprise, surprise, they're on this kind of peaceful planet. They're it's a trap, and um, the no greed, this new alien, uh, <laughs> or attack using weird like long. Barrels shooting like yellow sticky stuff and stuff like that, it's supposed to like incapacitate them and capture them. They're, they're taken alive. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, you, your phallic imagery does. I saw that go across your eyes like a meteor or something like that. I saw the expression change from one side of the face to the other. Unlike Han, whose face is only half half expressive. <laughs> yeah, that that joke doesn't play nearly as well as Han. It's just like, oh man. No wonder he's best friends with Lando. I mean, they only have one half of the face that could well, really work. <laughs> Woo! Uh, oh boy! Yeah. So, your thoughts on this kind of action sequence—the whole gang being separated and Chewie saving them in the Falcon? I don't. Uh, Not doing it for you? It was to me. It seems like okay. It was so like it's like it's very like you're reading it going like they're trying to separate you. Clearly, clearly, they even say, "I think they're trying to separate us." And Luke being no. I don't feel any mistrust in them. I'll go check out the old stuff here. By the way, Luke in the audiobook sounds like he's trying to like Jedi mind trick everyone. Including, 
Including his own sister. Like, you're going to go to the market. I'm going to go elsewhere. You go there. I'll go home. It's just like, it's like Luke, wake the, wake up. They're trying to separate you. And Han is just like, I'm not. I may have a stroked out face, but I know when a tra- I know a trap when I see one with my one eye that works. So it's just like the man I movie eye. That's how you can see. He just goes in all directions. No, but like Han sees it and he's like, "I'm not." They were trying to get Leia alone, and Han's like, "No, no, no, that's my job." <laughs> no, but he's like, "No, no, I'm staying with her." No, yeah, like and I'm- and then it all it all went to hell. It was just like, like really, Luke, you're 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 a dick. I was more pissed at Luke in this scene because it's like you're the, you're supposed to be the Jedi like the Jedi Knight here. You're supposed to see through deceit, and you didn't. Right. So I got a little cranky at him, but overall, it was a really like actually really like exciting, fast paced sequence where it's like okay, thing things are getting real here. Mm-hmm. Like there's, we don't even know what they are yet. Oh. <laughs> no, I was like, you're kicking the microphone stand. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. That was, I'm just I'm like, clunk, clunk, I'm like, what's Finish. that clicking coming from? No, I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think I think this, this scene like perfectly personifies what I like about Luke's role in the books and also what I completely despise. Because he's so naive in the whole trilogy. Yeah. He like always trusts people way too much. And you want to be like, Luke, come on. Wake up. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I, that's... He's still that farm boy. I mean, it's yeah. still too in that character. You, and you kind of hope he doesn't become a cynical bastard. Right? There's no. all things thrown at him. Yeah, and I mean, it is it is nice that... But at the same time, it, it it's interesting because, like, he's, he is trying to, as best he can, act like he, what he thinks a Jedi should behave like. Because in reality, like, most Padawans have 15 years to follow around their, their Jedi Knights to see what a Jedi is like. I mean, look at what? I mean, how long is he on Dagobah? It's really not that long to no. learn how to be a Jedi. So he's doing what he thinks is right. And he has like a lot of these internal monologues where he's like, I think this is what I should be doing. But I'm really, I'm really not sure. I mean, it's not to the point of like the Spider-Man animated series where Peter Parker is like almost sounds like he has a split personality disorder and he's arguing with himself constantly. Right. The one benefit of Luke is that he has R2 to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a good foil. <laughs> And so Han gets everybody in the Falcon and leaves. And Lair's like, no, we should go back and talk to them. Talk to them? They were just siding with the people who were going to try to assassinate you. And you want to go talk to them? But it's going to look, it's going to reflect negatively on the people. I'm like, well, maybe we don't, maybe we shouldn't really be trusting with these people if they're willing to put us, uh, throw us under the bus that quickly. Mm-hmm. So after that. <clears throat> sorry. Um, this is why you're not on mic. <laughs> Take these Doritos away from me. <laughs> Fine, I'll take these Doritos. I'm dying of like death by a thousand Dorito shit. cuts. <laughs> just let me, let's just solve your problems by cracking into this cool, sweet Pepsi Cola of the fine Pepsi brand of products. Ice cold Pepsi, the the choice of the new rebellion. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Dear diary, I broke uh, Rob tonight. It is, was so worth it. This is great. This is a joke that no one's gonna get, but we get it. Yeah, um, <laughs> we spent twenty minutes on the a Pepsi commercial controversy that just happened today. Yeah, and all three of us kind of sitting here, kind of confused by it. But and so we're saying the voice of a new generation, the voice of a new rebellion. It's like Pepsi Cola, like sponsoring the the New Republic. Uh huh. Makes sense to me. So. 
Because, you know, the Empire only has Coca-Cola, so... Yeah, I mean... So, I mean, what are you guys spending your Pepsi-sponsored money on? <laughs> Coca-Cola's reliable, like the Imperial currency, okay, guys? Yeah. They've been around for generations. Oh, is that, is that what the paradigm was saying? <laughs> Coca-Cola was sold in Nazi Germany under Fanta, just saying. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Han and uh, Leia go to Lando for help and everything like that. Um, Luke, um, go, is compelled to go to Dagobah. <clears throat> you okay there? How's oh, the Doritos, man? <laughs> it's it, but, like, I'm gonna combat it with H2O. That, we're not sponsored by H2O. No. Unless it's Aquafina. Oh, uh, got him. Alright, uh, uh, right, I'll take Aquafina over Dasani. I hate Dasani water. I really, I just really... It, no, because it's flavored water. There, there are added elements to into Dasani. There's added elements to Aquafina. Well, I don't drink anything really. in a bottle has been like added minerals for taste. Even Poland Spring. Yeah, you read it on the bottle. Natural spring water with added minerals for taste. Damn it! Oh well, the Poland Spring that's in my back seat right now is, is turning against me. I mean, it's water. Water is water. Water is water. Why do you think you can't get? Um, I mean, it's filtered, obviously, but there's. But the added minerals also kills all the algae growth. Good point. Science. So, speaking of algae and all kinds of uh, weird things, uh, growth, <laughs> Luke goes to Dagobah. That's a transition for you oh, right yeah, there. There's lots of algae there. Woo! <laughs> I mean, it was a good transition. That's I was professional. <laughs> I, I almost thought you set us up for that. Oh, man. I mean, that was as smooth as sandpaper, that's for sure. So, Han goes back to the tree where he fought his non dad, his, his fake dad. His stepdad, no, real dad. (laughs) His fake dad turned out to be him. It was a weird, it was a weird paradox there going on there. I'm my own daddy. Timelines. The doctor showed up with the TARDIS, and everything was all kinds of screwed up with Sarah Connor in tow. Yeah, you can either make that joke or a Marty McFly joke. When I kiss you, it's like kissing my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so in the cave. Um, which I, I love a lot. Lucas can f- always thought referred to as a magic tree and everything like that, but it's always a cave. It's a cave, not a magic tree. Well, it's a magic tree and everything like that. Turkey neck. <laughs> <laughs> Luke finds a weird cylinder that he does not recognize and decides to meet up with <clears throat> Lando and everybody, thinking, hey, he may be able to know because he's a very worldly person. Like, unlike Luke, he's seen a lot more and experienced a lot more and Knows the galaxy like the back of his hand, just like Han. Luke, I know a lot of things from across the galaxy. Like hot chocolate. <sighs> you have to pronounce it like that because no one else will know what you're going to say. By the way, crack open that ice cold Colt 45. <laughs> also sponsoring <laughs> the new rebellion. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, Lando is a Colt 45 guy, isn't he? <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. What do you think is funding his mining operation at that point, okay? It is the, it is the residuals from his Colt 45 sponsorships. <laughs> Did you see it? There's on some desolate world, like, a torn-up poster of Lando Calrissian with a Colt 45 with his cape and everything like that? The only malt liquor for the rebellion, I might have had. And some, some smuggler's like, ah, sell out. Yeah. <laughs> Him and... Him and half-faced Solo. Yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine that Lando's doing all these advertisements saying it's like the voice of the new rebellion. And Mom Moff is like, where are my residuals? I didn't sign up on this. 
Well, damn you, it, Lando. Well, you see, I kind of I filed the paperwork, but it got to push the bottom of the pile of uh, uh, Boris Fela's desk. So I say, take it up with him. Yeah. And so <laughs> I didn't mean it to be that funny, but somehow I break Dakota. Got him. Uh, ooh, kill him. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Han asks uh, Lando, who's the head of, like, who's, like, should we go talk to Talon Card? Because I think he respects both of us coming to him, but just me. Yeah. And, and knowing that there are people out there after Leia, there's only one safe place for her to go, and that's with Kashyyyk with Chewbacca. Right. So, they go that way. You go that way. I'll go home. I, I know I already made that joke earlier, but. And Luke <laughs> decides to, I forget where the hell Luke goes and end, end up getting, uh. I think he was... Was he on route to Lando's? And that's I th- how he got yeah, I think that's what happened. Okay. Because didn't he get intercepted by... The Chimera. By the Chimera, right. And he had to do some crazy bullshit maneuver and... Yeah. Yeah, like he over he overpowered his thruster, like thrusters of the X-Wing and everything like that. Yeah. No, that was... After... That whole thing is after he leaves Lando. Yes, because, because he, does he wants all... to check in on the rumor where Drew Sabayoff is. Right. Right. And then on the way there, then he gets intercepted by the... the by no, no, the... no, because I think, um, doesn't like Lando, doesn't he, um, because at the time, Chimera attacks the planet that... <clears throat> Lando's working on to steal the, the mining his mole ship. miner ships because Lando is Lando ha, ha, is the uh, president of the uh, Nomad City, which is this roving city on this planet that's really close to the sun, which will burn anything. However, this planet is like a mineral, um, mi- super mineral rich that like the risk is wor- well worth the reward. Yeah, like he's printing money at this point. Yeah, he's making his own money. Then he has these miners that pretty much fly into the surface, dig down. Was Thrawn knows this, and he's like, "We're going to get some more miners, Captain." And Hellion's going like, "I don't know why, but okay." Wasn't uh, Rogue Squadron there with them as well? Because didn't that how, isn't that how they got out of that out of that bind? Basically, is Rogue Squadron was there to, to to bail them out? No, I think Rogue Squadron shows up at the Sluice Vanyard. Yeah, that they definitely do. Yes, because I know that Wedge. Well, periodically appear, uh, appears in during the book. Yeah. He, he shows up in all three books, and reading this trilogy, it does make me realize I want to read the X-Wing series, the Rogue Squadron series. Yeah, which is awesome. And I just sucks that the actor refused to come back for episode seven. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, he refused. What a jerk. Where does he get the nerve? I don't know. I'm like, because like people, like him show up, like even in the big like meeting in, in Force Awakens, to see him around there, everybody's like, but that's Wedge. And he would have more residuals. I do not know. I, I think it was because maybe the part was not big enough or something like that. Maybe that's why... Or he was po- done with the role. I don't know. Or he's done with the role. I mean, he's like, I guess he's almost in his early 70s at this point. Yeah. So, who knows? So, they're attacked. Um, Luke arrives, helps the Falcon defend whatever mining ships they can they can save. But they still... 51 ships, the mole miners... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, ships were stolen. When I keep saying minor, I keep thinking of going back to Scooby Doo, Minor 49er as the characters and one of the cartoons and everything oh, like yeah. that. So, yeah, I know you're not the biggest Scooby Doo fan, but and it's fair. I'm willing to give it a shot, but like the newer one. What cartoon series wise? Yeah. Why you have a newer one because Daphne because they actually give Daphne actually a role instead of just being Fred's fuck fuck buddy right so like Daphne is actually the millionaire 
is like a millionaire heiress who actually is useful on these mysteries. That's the series I want to watch. Not so well, you think- well, you got you, Velma and Scooby Sha- Shaggy go like over there. Daphne and I are just going to go find a bedroom and search for clues up there. Don't come knocking. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got to go find, I got to go pet my new dragon. You got a new dragon, Hagrid? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where were we? Star Wars. Star Wars. Speaking like sidebar with like new cartoons, like new, like the new Looney Tunes cartoon where it's kind of serialized and they all live like in the same house and everything. Um, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it's I actually pretty good. You're watching that? Yeah, I've watched a little bit of, and, uh, what's, um, what's her name? The other rabbit, um. Oh, Babs. Babs. And, like, her kind of being. The crazy girl, ex-girlfriend. Not a crazy ex-girlfriend, but she's this very lovey-dovey person. And, like, like she wears a heart on her sleeve and everything. And she means well. And it's actually kind of really humorous. And she's not just, like, the person to be fond of and everything like that. She's not actually what she giving, was in Space Jam? Yeah. She was actually given a personality, not just a furry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After I finish Ghostbusters, then. Yes. The real Ghostbusters. The real Ghostbusters. After you've watched the original movie. And... Continue on with my Gundam movie, the shows. He's never seen the original Ghostbusters. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> How long have you been alive? This many. <laughs> Damn. I know. Is there any of the Bill Murray crimes that you want to you want to commit to record now? No, I mean, I love What About Bob. Have you seen, like, Stripes? I haven't seen Stripes in forever, so uh, no. I guess, like, Actually, it's been like, okay. it's been, like at Let's least... Let's be honest here. No, I have not. I have not watched all of Groundhog's Day. Uh, just what other sidebar? Movie? I've never seen Groundhog's Day. It's a good one. I know, and I know, I know. It's a, I know it's a and Stripes holds up. Holds it's, up. It's been like ten years since I've seen Stripes, so I need to rewatch that. Yeah, actually, to be honest with you, I haven't seen a lot of Bill Murray movies. Just what about Bob? Is like my all time, one of my all time favorites. It can't be that bad. Like, like he can't, he couldn't have left. Left? Gone? You think he's, he's gone? gone? That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this Open a radical new therapy? You see. <laughs> Somebody used that clip to be opened up their blog recently, and I lost it. Awesome. Anyway. Great movie. Um, Star Wars! <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, the Chimera attacks Luke Skywalker's X-Wing. Let's imagine like, just like the one, the giant Chimera and like the little X-Wing. Like, somehow get away because... Okay. Dakota, you expressed your criticisms of these books before... I think time. I think now would be an opportune time to okay, express so it. Okay, so you they established that Grand Admiral Thrawn is this super genius. He's intel, super intelligent in tactical warfare. He can calculate every single movement that any enemy makes. But when it comes to Luke, Leia, Han, Chewbacca, and Lando Calrissian, it's like I can set up trap that is bulletproof. Like have a put them in a bag that's bulletproof, tie it with like tie it with unbreakable cordage, and they'll never get out. And guess what? Chewbacca like can like light a fire with his ass randomly, and they can get out of it. They literally the five of them can get out of any situation by the seat of their pants with just pure dumb luck, and leaving Thrawn going like, "What the fuck?" It's like seriously, they are a farm boy. A smuggler who's stroked out, a pregnant princess whose concern is her children, a fuzzy walking carpet, and a guy who is like who is 
who drinks too many Colt 45s on the side. It's like, seriously, people. Like, and this, and that, the scene where he sets, where, um, Thrawn sets this trap to have the Chimera intercept uh, the X-Wing. Like, he, he knows where Luke is going. And he set a course from uh, where where Lando was to the planet that Sabaoth is rumored on. So, obviously, the Chimera will set up halfway through there and pull him out of hyperspace to capture him. Yeah. Luke does some stupid, ridiculous move to get him out of that situation. He destroys his uh, he destroys his X wing in the process, but here's the thing: it, it happens again in either the second or third book, where Luke does almost the exact same thing, a little bit different, but nearly the exact same thing, and gets out of it. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? There's no way that you can ha- establish a character like Thrawn and have him be thwarted by some st- by stupidity. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't, I won't deny that some of the problems in the book are solved just by the power of friendship. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it than that. Like they just believed in it enough, and it worked. And it's like, okay, I guess. The only thing I will, the only way I will defend some of the, I agree, it's it's absolute stupidly, it's just stupid sometimes. Like, oh yeah, of course, Rogue Squadron would happen to be at the Sluice Van shipyards when, oh look, it's Thrawn, and then the best Republic pilots happen to all be here. And it's like, uh, sure. But the only thing I do like, or I will forgive it for, is that at least the author does his due diligence to set up prior in the book why this would happen later. It doesn't mean it's satisfying when it happens, but at least there is, he tries to, to, to plant the kernel or plant the seed earlier in the book that sprouts into some bullshit later. <laughs> and he does show Thrawn to be a competent leader up until that point. Right. Thrawn takes out so many other so many other command ships and other like fleets of starfighters. Like he, he literally is bulldozing his way through the galaxy. Any other republic ships are just getting destroyed in his wake and it just these five people are fucking with him. Yeah. And I, I think maybe maybe the it, it goes to like a bigger thing that the book is trying to say that like I don't know, they're Maybe it goes to show how desperate the New Republic is, like, that literally without these characters, they would be... Nothing. Nothing. They would be nothing, like... And maybe it goes to show how why Mon Mothma's so desperate, is because he realized, like, look, I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> I need you guys. Is there anybody else named asshole on this ship? Hi! <laughs> I can't believe no, I'm surrounded... No, I'm asshole! I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah. I mean, like, I'd be that, or... Well, the problem is that because you set up Thrawn to be so smart that anything, any way that he gets beaten, it's going to seem contrived. Because he's so smart. Like, there's nothing you can beat him and be like, why didn't he think of that? He thinks of everything else. Do you really not think of that? I mean, that's why I think one of the best moments in Empire Strikes Back is like Admiral Admiral Piat up until this point, when he gets promoted, he's always always been right and everything like that. It's not until then he's like, oh yeah, the hyperdrive and the Falcon, taken care of, my lord. We'll have him in a few moments. And the Falcon flies away. And Piet's like, shit. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And he looks at and, uh, Vader. And Vader's just kind of distraught at this point. He doesn't, he doesn't even bother. He just walks away. And everybody's on pins and needles as he walks off the bridge. And you're like, okay. Dodge that bullet. Dodge that bullet. That wouldn't happen to Thrawn. Thrawn would not have that kind of moment. where, like, At least it's set up in the way that they wouldn't have gotten away. 
No. Except for the contrivance of the storm. Yeah. Right. And it, but I would also say again, I don't want to defend the book too much because it is it is definitely a, an issue. But one thing I will say is that it does allow that that scene where Luke escape allows Thrawn to have a very big character moment. Yes, I it is one of the po- most powerful Thrawn moments in yes. the entire series because it kind of really establishes this no nonsense character. Yeah, like you. Like before, you're like, oh, Thrawn's kind of like a benevolent dictator, and then you're like, okay, no, he's pretty ruthless if he needs to be. He won't raise his voice. He won't scold you. He'll question you. What happened? If you can't give him a good answer, he'll kill you. And you the guy drives. You have to own it too. You have to own your mistake. And in the true Bond villain fashion, he has one of his subordinates killed. Yeah, he has root. Cut the dude down in front of everybody. I imagine you gotta be that cleanup crew has to clean up the sensors and everything. And yeah. by the way, if you're kind of paying attention, and a little lost. After Luke escapes from uh, the Chimera, who was trying to pull him into their own tractor beam to have him be, like go into their docking bay so they can capture him, uh, Luke pulls this stupid stunt which destroys his engines pretty much to leave him like somewhere floating in space. Um, but the thing is. The crew who are in charge of the tractor beams failed to capture Luke Skywalker and were unable to respond to whatever maneuvers they he did just not, did. They did not expect him to pull that kind of maneuver. Yeah. So Thrawn, look, looking for answers, because he knows his trap was perfect. It was just the incompetence of his crew. So he looks for the incompetent man who was in charge of that particular tractor beam. And the... Uh, and the off- but yeah, and the the pretty much the sailor. It wasn't really even an officer. I think it was an ensign that was on the control. Right. <clears throat> yeah, he was like, "Well, my uh, my lieutenant didn't train me well enough." And Thrawn looks at the lieutenant and goes, "Like, is this true?" And the lieutenant's like, "Yes, this is true. This man has, has no, no dick." <laughs> <laughs> and the lieutenant just goes, "Like, uh, I trained him as best as I could." I it's like, "It's like, well, you didn't train him well enough. Now he's going to die." And Thrawn has his Nogri Rook slit, uh, cut down the the ensign right in front of the entire uh, entire bridge, just leaving a puddle of just blood and shit. And it's like, okay, the correction has been made. He was incompetent. He is gone. Train someone competent now. Well, I I, I actually think it's more than that because you know the Thrawn has that saying. It's like. I, I, you can make an error, but like something about mis- the difference between like mistake and an error. Like an error is a one-time thing, but a mistake is like a like a big flaw that you have. Right. Yeah. And I think so. I think that the guy views it, he views what how the ensign reacted as a mistake because he didn't try to take he didn't try to take responsibility for his own action. He passed off the responsibility on his lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And what Thrawn wanted to get him to say is be like, no, you made a mistake. It's not your son's fault. You made the mistake. And if he admitted like. Yeah, it was my fault. I don't think Thrawn would have killed him. I think he's sending a message like, okay, you're all responsible for you. You cannot just pass up the chain of command. Everyone needs to be the best. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I accept no, no, like, you know, lower-ranked idiots floating under my under my watch. I mean, maybe in the days of the Empire, like, rule, ensigns like that could probably skate by with, that little, with little to no repercussions to their actions because they were so powerful and so... Had so many people running around, they probably could have a little, a little bit of glut of maybe not the best people working. Unless for you were on Darth Vader's starship, yes, right. That was the only exception to the rule. Correct, correct. And but if you know you're going to be on that ship, you you're know the, you you're know the best. Yes, yes, yeah. But um, and since there's so few ships left, and Thrawn's like the only commander in chief at this point, you have to be there. 
And you have to be the best you can, and obviously that ensign did not right. uh, see it that way. Yeah, and especially because they established that the, 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 the Empire is filled by a lot of conscripts and recruits, so people of questionable skills. And so he, it's his job. He has to unfortunately – well, not unfortunately because I mean – he has to go through and kill people just to kind of get rid of the bad ones. But like, you know, it's, who, there's no like recruiting sergeant who's going to be like, ah, you're not suitable. Get out of here. Like they have to take everyone. So at a certain point, they have to say, okay, we take everyone, but everyone is not going to stay. And this is something that Palin, uh, Captain Palin brings up in the very first scene of the book. Yeah. yeah. As the internal monologue of like back in the day when everybody was the best of the best and everything like that. But now I'm just like, I've, I'm surrounded by children. Yeah. yeah. Like, they have no experience. Running around the bridge <laughs> shouting for him. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I just feel like we could talk about this scene for another, like an hour and stuff like that. It's important. It's a very important character scene for Thrawn mm-hmm. and, the, and the state of the Empire, that, essentially. Yeah. It really sets the tone for the trilogy, really. Mm-hmm. So Luke tries to repair his X-Wing from the inside. It's got to be pretty terrifying that you're in a ship in space with a broken engine and X amount of O2 to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interstellar moment. No, not interstellar. Um, gravity moment. Gravity, yes. And with no George Clooney. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes it much less uh, appealing. <laughs> now, I'm just, now I'm just imagining George Clooney as Thrawn. Uh, he's not mean enough. George Clooney can't put on a mean face. I mean, Knights of March, maybe. Well, yeah. Actually, Knights of March, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I can't see him with blue makeup, though. Hi, Luke. I'm Thrawn. Ah! <laughs> no, I freeze. Uh, <laughs> I'm Batman. I freeze. I'm Batman. Oof. Anyway, so... My back credit card. Never leave home without it. Don't worry, people. We'll be covering Batman and Robin for the 20th year anniversary this year. Yeah. How we're going to do it, I do not know. Yeah. Rob, you, you're shaking your head in approval. You want to do that, don't you? Uh, I mean... It's still Batman? <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> Damn it, who put a question at the end of the teleprompter? So Lucas picked up by the wild card, piloted by Mar Jade, who immediately has a disdain for Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like, she is spitting venom towards Luke Skywalker. And farm boy Luke's like, what? What'd I do? what I he said something. He said something. I said something. Yeah, but the while like uh, Mara Jade is being so aggressive to Luke Skywalker, Talon Card is really like, "Do you know her? What's the beef between you two? And Luke is like, "I don't know her. She just has a bug up her ass." The terminology. Yeah, goes. yeah, I know, but <laughs> and but yeah, Talon Card's just like, "Okay, well, if you figure it out, you let me know." But in the meantime, I'm going to keep you in my storage, storage area. Yeah. Keep you in my storage area surrounded by Ishlamari. I mean, well, do you think it looks bad on talent cards? We have to kind of hold a Jedi Knight hostage. Well, he was going to use him as a bargaining chip, right? For, for the Empire, yeah. Yeah, but there was just bad timing that uh, Lando and Han came knocking at the same time. And then on top of that... Uh, the Empire comes and it's looking like for more looking for more Ishlamari and Talon Card is like, okay, I can't be caught with you right now because I already told them I wasn't going to look look for you at the moment. Yeah. So if I have you and not given to you them immediately, I'm screwed. Yeah. But if Han Solo and Lando Calrissian find you, 
I'm screwed too. Yeah. So he's put in a bad pickle. A really bad pickle. Yeah. It's definitely one of those parables of like, okay, well, if you play both sides, eventually you're going to get burned. Yeah, he's definitely, like you're saying, he's definitely playing, he's burning candle at both ends when it comes to these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke's like, you know what, I'm not going to stay in the storage, section, storage area. And being the ingenious person he is, gets himself out of the storage area with the help of, of R2-D2 on the other side and mm-hmm. the next uh, adjoining room. Commandeers a spear and sets off to get off the planet. Marjade, going to move Luke, realizes he's escaped, gives chase. Yes. Right at the time as uh, the Empire's landing and see the two of the ships crash. And so they know they crashed. Han and, and Lando, who are now hiding from from uh, the the Empire, know that it's crashed. So something else is going on. Everybody knows this going is weird. And... Han and Lando finally get to see the Grand Admiral from a distance. Yes. And they can't believe it because he's an alien. And that's something we haven't brought up at the point. The Emperor had a kind of a bias to just, like, against non-human entities. Mm-hmm. He, did not, he did not trust aliens, did not like them. No. However, that Thrawn's like a humanoid and part alien and, like, I said, like, just a weird, like, interspecies kind of thing, to ascend to the level of Grand Admiral, nobody believes them, nobody believes Han Lando when they when he tells them about it later. Right. Would, I mean, like, do you think that's the wrong play? Do you think people are are right in doubting what they say? I think I think what they know about the Empire, it's, it's a totally plausible uh, theory, especially because it establishes, I don't know when this is revealed, but... That Thrawn made his name in the outer in the outer rim, yeah, in the mm-hmm. outer territories, like basically conquering new land for or new land. It's a very earth bound way yeah. of looking at it, but conquering new planets for the Empire. It, it doesn't seem that odd that nobody would have heard of this guy. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, at the time the New Republic went through all the records and thought they grabbed every admiral. However, they weren't. They didn't know that Grand Admirals were off the books per se. Yeah, um, kind of an honorary title, so it wasn't wasn't in the bureaucracy. But go ahead. Yeah, and Grand Admiral Thrawn was nowhere in the records, so they had no idea. And why would every person, every admiral that they ever came across was human? And it was very well known that the Emperor hated non-humans. Yeah. So, like, why? Like it makes no, they're like it makes no sense. He might be calling himself a grand admiral, or he just likes the outfit. We don't really know, but we doubt we doubt it because it makes it goes completely against what Palpatine set up. Right. I guess okay. I know we're going to be covering characters later, but something that just came to mind now. How do you think Grand Admiral Thrawn felt in his own position compared to the other admirals, the Grand Admirals? That were on that level. Like, everybody else is human. I am the only one that's different. Um, I mean, I thought if... Knowing, like, from reading the book, like, going through the books and everything like that, Grand Admiral Thrawn would probably take it as, like, a very enjoyable challenge to prove that he's the best of them all. Mm-hmm. And because he'll figure out how to exploit every single one of those people's weaknesses. And Thrawn... Thrawn's only real weakness is him wanting to know too much. 
which can't really come back to bite him all too much unless he goes like he oversteps. He, over, he over over, yeah, and he, but like he, I mean, he had a lot of proof because he is the only non-human. But but if the but Palpatine already saw at that point that he was such a great asset that he had to keep him as close to him as possible. I mean, Thrawn later admits that he and the and the, the Emperor butted heads because Palpatine wanted him to go deploy your cruisers to this area and Thrawn goes no that makes no sense to do that so Palpatine dropped him a rank demoted him and had someone else do it and then that plan failed and then Palpatine goes back to Thrawn saying you were right you're back to where you were prove now go prove yourself somewhere else so I think Thrawn Thrawn had a lot of proof to everyone else at that point and I think, but everyone else also at the same time knew that Palpatine would not bring Thrawn on to that level unless Thrawn really was like, like a prodigy. Yeah, know? yeah. I, I think that's that's certainly a um, an accurate way that which it could have been it could have went down. But I would propose also perhaps that, judging by Thrawn's character, would he actually care if he like if people saw him as the best? Does that actually matter to him? Like, do you think Thrawn as a character has an ego where he feels like he needs to be acknowledged as the best? Or would he just in his own mind know that he is the best? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that either yours or mine is more correct. I'm just asking, like, do you, you know, what you know of his character, do you think that that would be a concern of his? Because he definitely thrives on the fact, thrives on knowledge. We all, we all agree on that. Right, right. And he doesn't like, like, as we would Captain Pellian kind of being there, kind of along was there for exposition, and someone be built up as a potential admiral to serve under Grand Admiral Thrawn. He definitely is willing to share knowledge and to educate people. Mm-hmm. He's not going to keep it all for himself and everything like that. But when it comes to George Sabayoff, he definitely has a different attitude towards him. I mean, with the Islamiri. <clears throat> Islamiri and everything, and the fact that Jorah Sabayoth the clone, that the real Jorah Sabayoth is dead, and he kind of keeps that away from him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the... Because I, I, I kind of feel like he loves the position of power that he has over Sabayoth. Maybe that's, like, maybe that's, I guess, like one of the only few flaws that he has, is that he, he enjoys that position more than anything. Not than anything else, but enjoys having that power over a Jedi Master. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe that is you could also throw that as being a flaw because it sort of um, I don't want to say it blinds him to Sabayoth's like kind of his own cunning, Sabayoth's cunning in his own way because he he kind of does pull a fast one on Thrawn when he retreats to his secret lair and has, and has and Luke shows up to him in the second book, right? So I mean, <clears throat> Thrawn, I think maybe that his. He maybe he thinks too high. Maybe his flaw is rather that he thinks too highly of himself. He doesn't need the the sort of the approval from other people because he has so much of his own approval. Right. So like his his arrogance and his of in his own intelligence is is ultimately his undoing because he he said maybe like okay well he sets up these big plans and he's like how could this plan fail and it's like well maybe you're not always the smartest person. Yeah, but at the same time he never gets like vocally like over-the-top angry that something failed. No, no. I mean, he'll just kind of, like, really... It'll probably irk him to a certain degree, like, what what did I miss? But I wouldn't say that he is, like... 
completely like egotistical. No, I mean I he's very, very confident in his own in- intelligence and his own com- uh, powers to command. Yep. But yeah, man, I kind of see where you're going though. Like yeah. he probably wouldn't at the same like if he wanted to prove himself, he definitely could among the other grand animals. But he didn't really. I guess in his own mind, he didn't have to prove himself. He's like, I'm right yeah. here. Yeah, maybe he, uh, he maybe he's like an artist and he's like, my work will speak for itself. I don't need to say anything. That would make sense. My campaigns and my success do all the talking for me. Mm-hmm. Except for that one planet, which you utterly just destroyed because you couldn't figure them out. Yeah, well. That's a different story. We'll, yeah. we we'll all get... have our bad days. Yes. <laughs> and so, Mara Jade and Luke Skywalker are, are flying across the planet, crash land. Mm-hmm. Jade, like Luke goes to the light Jade and then she's injured. Stormtroopers show up. They hide with R2. And they say, we can't go back that way. We have to get out of here. Like, the only civilization is another city that's kilometers upon kilometers away. Cross the Islamari-filled forest. Mm-hmm. And so... What's the animal? Vronskers? The Vronskers? Like, those the are the... big dog yeah. things? Those are the dog things that um, Card has as yeah. his pets. But there's wild ones. There. Yeah. Yeah, wild ones. Um, so they trek across the planet... Sorry, Lord of the Rings there. Um, and Jay's just being like, Luke's like, like what's what what's your deal, man? And Jay's like, nothing. It's you. Blah. At first, because what it's over a week of them traveling through the woods, and they have to because of Luke's force powers, he's drawing all these born scars to him, so they're not getting sleep during the night. And they're traveling by day, endlessly, to get to, get out of the woods. So at first, Mara Jane is really pissed off at him, but she eventually does start letting her guard down. The more and more the week goes on, because the more she's getting tired, he's getting tired. They just want to get out of there. So, which then leads to us figuring because she lets her guard down so much, it, like Luke just finally gets like, "Why do you hate me so much?" And we get the reason why from Mara. Yep. Because you killed my master. You killed my master and you stole everything from me. And he's like, your master? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, that means... Yes, I was the emperor's hand. You killed my master. You took everything in the empire away from me. I had power. I could go anywhere and hear his voice. And you took that authority and power away from me. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, no. <laughs> my name is Mara Jade. You killed my master. Prepare to die. Just imagine like Luke <laughs> Skywalker running away like that guy. Nope. <laughs> he, yep. Luke had Luke six fingers on his right hand where he didn't know. Or six fingers on his left hand. I forget which one. And so while that's going on. Had it, we had it bringing Princess Bride into this. Yes. Leia goes to Kashyyyk with Chewbacca to hide out with the Wookiees. Okay. Okay. Maybe this is how it's different in the book, the actual print version, versus the uh, audio book. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, this was fine for me, so I want, I want to pass the mic and see here the story on the other side. Um, God. That this Wookiee... Um, the only Wookiee that speaks English. Basic. Basic, thank you. Yes. I'm sorry, basic. 
Yeah, we're going to have a terminology, but let's get this right. <sighs> yes. That he can sort of speak basic, but with a heavy Wookiee accent. So, Princess Leia, we will here protect you in the trees. Chewbacca here tells me you are pregnant. It's like, just end it. End it now. God. These chapters were kind of rough. These were so, like, audiobook-wise, so horrible. Like, oh my god. Just nobody talk. Just somebody just... Just take Leia. Just take her off world now. So, <laughs> while that's going on, the like, Nogri uh, find out where they are and attack. And Leia defends herself by igniting her lightsaber that she's been given by her brother and she's been trained to be a Jedi. They defend herself against one of the Nogri and one of the other Nogri stops and bows. The Wookiees come in like, wait. Not bows, but he... He's, like, shocked of what he discovered on her. Yeah. By her scent, and he just kind of, like, backs off, like, in shock. Which then allows him to get, like, knocked unconscious. And taken prisoner. Mm-hmm. And I forget, what was the what was her title? The Marari Ush. Marari Ush. Which was the title given to Darth Vader. And he's the daughter of Marari Ush. And she's like... Lady Vader. Yeah, that, that's how... The, uh, in the in the second book with the or like, that's how most of the no grease speak. Yeah, the, most in of the, the audio books. In the audio books, also they also do the <laughs> before between. they talk or in between they talk. And it's just, <sighs> it, it isn't as bad as <sighs> no, that's pretty egregious. That, I mean, even like the fight scene, like the action scenes, and right. it's, it's like <sighs> they went under the city. We <laughs> must <sighs> fight back. So the one cool thing about. <laughs> the audiobooks released for this trilogy is they provide sound effects. Yes. Oh, that's cool. So that's awesome. Then. So like each and like how every chapter like starts with like like the like Nat sound of inside a cockpit. So it's like you hear like beeping and kind of like chapter one, and then it would, and then it would just fade in and you hear Nat sound or whatever setting they're in. Mm-hmm. Like when they're on the like when they're on the Star Destroyer, right? Right. They have the en- the fate engine sounds going. Huh. And it's actually really adds a nice atmosphere to it. The space yeah. battle you hear <clears throat> like sci fi sounds and X Wing sounds and everything. So it does become like almost like an audio drama at that yeah. point. Mm. And I think that's why I that's what I really seeped into this this story these stories. Um And Chewbacca actually has Chewbacca audio. It's legit Chewbacca, uh, it's not somebody uh, doing a Chewbacca. D two audio. It's cool. It's just <clears throat> that you the Wookiee speaking basically is all was pretty egregious. That was my least favorite part of this book. Yeah. <laughs> so, Marjade and Luca are almost at the city. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back, go back to the Nogri being captured. Nogri, okay. Because that all wraps up there. Okay. After uh, all the other Nogri get killed off by Chewbacca and Leia, um, the captured Nogri is in prison, and Leia is like, "Okay, I want to interrogate him because I need to know what's going on and why he why he stopped." So they are like, "Oh, they're unco- the, the Wookies are uncomfortable with this," but they're like, "Okay, you can go interrogate her. We'll watch from the other side of the glass." Right. So Leia goes in there, and uh, the Nogri extends his hand to her. She extends her hand back to him, 
and realize this is like a huge this could go wrong very quickly because if he has like a hidden knife or snaps her neck it's all over no one can do anything but instead of like doing anything malicious he takes her hand and smells it and that's how he figures out that she is related to Darth Vader and then the plight of the fact that the Nogri are he doesn't spill his guts on this but no. he's very very cautious about what information but essentially it he reveals that the Nogri people are the personal servants to the empire because that's what Darth Vader said and the fact that the main reason is because no one from the republic has ever come to help them out only the empire has so Leia sets this whole thing up it's like well I want you to, I want to help you out so why don't you help so why don't I you take me to your planet and they arrange this whole meeting where she will go to this Nogri's Maybe goes to this no respect. They give her; he, she gives him a month to think about it. Mm. So, and that whole sets up in the, in the second book, second book where Leia eventually goes to. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think of that like scene? Like, did you think he was going to turn on her and like try and use her as a hostage when like he sent like he asked for her hand? Pretty much. I didn't really know because I didn't. I I don't know. Um, I think I was with the with Leia on that one, where like it could go very well. This could be a gesture of like acceptance of his defeat, mm. or this could be a tactic to better his odds. Right. So when he eventually st- took her hand and smelt it, it's like okay, I think mm. we're we think we're okay for now. Yeah. But then this whole thing where she needs to go to his home world is just like oh, that's not good. That's n- yeah. that's not smart. Yeah. And I, I think, so the, the scene is, you know, it's obviously important, and I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, but I think what that scene does is opens up something, and I think the books are done, which is that they're structured very well, in that that side plot with, with Leia is really a side plot, but it ends up being one of the most important side, it, it almost is more important than the main plot, really. Yeah. Because it ends up being, like, the, the I don't mean what you want to call it, like, the, yeah. thing, that, the thing that undoes... Or undoes all of Thrawn's, you know, machinations. Yeah, is this ostensibly side plot? And I like how the the book is structured in that way, where, you know, it, it to me it reminds me of Lord of the Rings, where I know that Frodo is supposed to be the main character, but to me Frodo and Sam seemed like a side plot. But in reality, the most important thing is being done by Frodo and Sam. Yeah, everything else, everything, all the characters doing are really just stalling for Frodo and Sam. Just the same, like everyone else is keeping Thrawn at bay so that this side development can happen. To unravel the Empire. The first time going through these books, I thought this plot was just to separate the characters and give Leia something to do. Right, right. I did not think this was actually going to end, like you said, end up being possibly the most important thread that's going through these these three books. Yes, yeah. And like I'm halfway, I'm like I'm halfway through the second book. I'm like, where is this going? Because she spends the whole book there. Oh yeah. And I'm like, all right, and I'm getting this kind of cultural and agricultural lessons from these people and sure we do have Thrawn show up at that point on the planet yeah. and mm-hmm. it's very stressful and everything seeing Chewbacca lunge C-3PO up into a chandelier to hide him and everything is a funny image yeah yes. but I don't know it was it was interesting at first but I do believe you're right it has become the most important part of this book Mara and Luke finally gets the other side of the planet after huffing it and they realize the Empire is there already. <laughs> Crap. But Luke believes that Han and Lando have a plan. No, he doesn't even know that. 
No. They've been sending messages. They've been sending messages up with R2, R2. but he only hoped that uh, that they brought C-3PO along to decode the messages they were going up through the X-Wing. Yes. So they don't know. They didn't get a response until they were like almost out of the woods, saying, "Hey, the Empire is waiting for you." Right. And it's just like you're like, "Oh shit." Now compare this sequence of like the suspense building up, and then the actual battle commencing. Compare that to the earlier um, on Bishamari with the Nogri attacking the, the gang. Oh, this is far, far, far better. Yeah, because the the Marjade coming up with like we have to disguise you, Luke. Mm. Uh, so here's this poisonous plant that I'm going to rub all over you. And Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure to get it in the eyes. Yeah, she had a total hate boner while she was doing that for sure. <laughs> He's like swollen and just does not look good. And no. he's just like, yeah. Okay, give me your blaster. And she's like, I'm not giving you my blaster. It's like, you're my pres- You're supposed to be my prisoner in this situation. Give me it. You can keep that battery. Or, well, give me a load. Give me it. It has to be loaded. Yeah. She's like, this is stupid. But it ends up handing it over because that's what they're they're going to try to, you know, play it off. Because uh, Talon Card said, oh, my associate Jade ran off. And one of my other associates chased after her. Yeah. Chased after Jade. Yeah. Their spe- specified gender. So he, Luke was, uh, or was it Jade that chased after one of his? Either way, yeah, Luke was supposed to be the, have Mara hostage in that situation. So that's what the Empire heard. So that's what the Empire was expecting or not expecting. Right. So they were kind of like, okay, it might have been Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So, but you know, so they get back into the city, and this whole buildup of just them walking through the city. Uh, armed stormtroopers on either side and then Han Solo comes in and is like hey everything's set up we're gonna bombard the shit out of them and then like but all of Town Card's men are like in the surrounding buildings of the city ready to ambush to ambush the um the stormtroopers but Luke is trying to say no I have a plan and then get all- further and further into the into this kind of courtyard in this like uh rotunda Rot- thing yeah because they know there's a ship. Yeah, it, well, the whole idea is from a tactical point, well, from what was explained, Talon Cards' men don't want them to get anywhere near that mm. because then they could uh, pretty much, they're they're safe and they have their, like, uh, chariot, armed chariot, like, to just fire upon all their, like, all of Talon Cards' strongholds. Mm. So that's not a good thing, but Luke is, like, insisting we have to do this plan, we have to do this plan, and it works out eventually. Yeah. But the buildup to this fight is great. And this actual fight turns out actually pretty cool. Because isn't that yeah. when he gets reaches the rotunda, that's when he's right out of the Islamari's no, he's still sphere, has, sphere of influence? He's still, the whole planet has that sphere around it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he just uses what he knows. Like, I'm just going to throw this lightsaber. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he tosses the lightsaber, correct? Right. Yeah. But uh, as a quick thing, you know, I, I get the sense that when, like, uh, Talon Card is kind of spinning this yarn to Thrawn, Thrawn's listening to him and says, hmm, hmm, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't trust anything you're saying. Yeah. Like, it just seems obvious that Thrawn is like, hey, I don't buy a word of what you just said Not to me. No, he he's doesn't like, trust... I don't know what you're hiding, but... But he's, been good to you, but, he's been, but he's been good to me in the past. Right. He, that's why I don't think he doesn't double-cross him right then and there. No, no, no. Because he needs cautious. the Islamari. Yeah. Right. He's cautious. Yeah. Because if there's anything that Thrawn never acts rashly... No. Yeah, he always thinks all of the possibilities. He's a like a three-dimensional chess player... Yes. At all times. And so, big battle ensues. 
Um, and the gang make it by the skin of their teeth yet again. Yes, as a joke would say. <laughs> this one was a little less plot convenient. No, no yeah, yeah this, because this was just this was they were just dealing with a battalion of soldiers that were left there, not instructed by Thrawn. Just they were just they expect keep your eyes open, report back every hour. They didn't report back three after three hours, and Thrawn's like, "Oh God, I knew I should have done more." I'm just imagining it's. I'm just how I'm picturing this is thinking of the end of Saving Private Ryan when they're in Ramel. Mm-hmm. And the Nazis are coming down the center of the city, and everybody's on either side of them, and just prepare for them, and then just attack them right then and there, and everybody gets cut down in a crossfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I kind of imagine what's going on here. Pretty much, I mean, Thrawn kind of knew something was up, but he didn't have all the evidence there, so that's why he didn't put more people in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why but, them? yeah, but then obviously when he they failed to report back to him, he's like, something's amiss. No, he, no, that he's like that confirmed. Everything that I was ex- suspecting. Mm-hmm. So once we're done with uh, the uh, the Van- Vanisloo shipyards, we're going back. Mm-hmm. So right, Vanisloo. Um, Sluice Van. S L really U I S Van. Dix Dix. Dyslexia. Thank you. Bass backwards. There we go. I can't talk anymore. It's okay. Words are hard. We understand. You know, it would really help. Some ice cold Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Oh no! <laughs> Thank God, my coat. But I forty five. But still here. I got these interest payments on this this leased car I took out. <laughs> you could be saving fifteen percent or more with Geico. Oh, there you go, <sighs> Captain Pellion. Do you have anything to tell us? Um, saving fifteen percent or more. Uh, f- you could save fifty percent or more by switching to car insurance, Admiral Thrawn. Good, mm, good answer. Good. <laughs> yeah. I could see Thrawn, Thrawn being an, 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 um, appreciative in that for that answer. Yes, it's uh, good. I was worried about my armored chariot insurance. <laughs> so, at the same time, Thrawn's been developing this cloaking device to use on ships to hide them from sensors and everything. Right, because. The whole plot of this book is for Thrawn to get um, control of more warships because they know the New Republic is expanding every day and we do not have the manpower to, to fight them off. We're too few and we have men, but we have nowhere to put them. Right. So we need more ships. So they decide to use this cloaking device to hide TIE fighters in this kind of giant um, freighter. To ambush the Sluice Van uh, Van shipyards to steal as many ships as possible and use the stolen mine uh, ships to commandeer the ships and just blast them out of there so you don't have to have to send men onto each ship and fly them away. He will be developing a lot of men to use ships in the next book, but we'll get there eventually. Was wasn't the um, weren't the mining ships carrying stormtroopers the whole time? Like that was the point of them was to burrow into the side of the ship so they can dislodge stormtroopers. Was it uh, okay? All right, I, I was. Yeah, I thought it was just just commandeering just to kind of like use them as like magnets yeah, no, to drag I, them out of there. What I gathered was that the mole miners will dig right right behind the cockpit of these uh, of these uh, battleships, right, and then. A, then, a, like a small squad of stormtroopers would take the bridge and take over the take over the warship. Right. Yeah, because something that was not directly, not explicitly said, but kind of alluded to, is that Thrawn wasn't hurting on 
average soldiers, but he was didn't have a lot of stormtroopers. Yeah. So maybe he's like, well, I have good soldiers I can use to commandeer these ships, so might as well use them, because they're yeah. useless in a space battle, realistically. Right. Despite we have the space troopers show up, I think, in the next book or the third book. No, that's this one. Okay. Yeah. Which, okay. They pop never... out and start firing missiles at the Millennium Falcon. Right. Your thoughts on seeing that kind of an image? Because we never saw, we never see people actually inside of, in outer space in the Star Wars universe at this point. Yes. So, uh, I thought it was okay. You don't think it's you don't think it's too far fetched to have jetpack like like the Moonraker suits? No, in I was Star Wars? I was picturing the uh, jetpack soldiers in Battlefront. Yeah. Yes. You know what I was picturing? I was imagining the jetpack soldiers in Battlefront fighting like pilots in space for Mobile Suit Gundam. If you remember the, the space battles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this is kind of awesome. <laughs> All right. With an, putting it in that framework, it does sound a lot cooler than it is. <laughs> Otherwise, because I thought it was like the end of Moonraker when everybody's in those kind of chairs firing lasers at each other. No, no, I imagine they were a lot more mobile. Than okay. Yeah. Because if you think about it, Luke did that, has that small scene where he's repairing his, his X-Wing and he's just floating around in a, in a space suit. So presumably if he's able to like stick his hands in the in the engine bay and like pull garbage out, it can't be these giant like modern space suits that we have. It's got to right. be some small, you know, svelte ones. Right, to- side note, totally random, but like and I'm thinking of Luke floating around repairing the X-wing, and it's like, what happens if R2D2 was like an Echo, you- like Echo? Hey Echo uh, or Alexa, play something, play something appropriate, and he's repairing it, and then all of a sudden, like R2D2 starts playing like uh, uh, Bowie's uh, t- Made <laughs> <laughs> Ground Control to Major Tom. I'm gonna let go of this ship. <laughs> I'm stepping this through the, the door. door, and I'm floating in the most peculiar Leo way. And the stars look very different today. <laughs> just that, as he's repairing his X-wing, it's just like, oh god. I gotta say, like R2, every asteroid droid gets uh, updated every now and then. You haven't. I could change my mind. Yeah, change the song. It just flips him off pretty much. Now, now we all know that Luke was listening to Mbop when he was repairing his ship. <laughs> it's the perfect opportunity when he's literally alone with no one else except the droid who won't judge him, presumably. R2, play my Nickelback playlist. Oh, no. <laughs> Look at this photograph! <laughs> I hate that song so much! No wonder the wild car showed up to capture him. No wonder Marjane has so much bad blood. He has shitty taste in music. Not only did you kill the Emperor, you listened to Nickelback. Hans uh, <laughs> like, you listened to Nickelback, kid? I should have left you on Tatooine the first time I saw you. Yeah, at least my smile goes across all my face. Oh, oh sick non-existent burns. <laughs> So, okay, back to the space battle. At the same time, Rogue Squadron happened to be at the Slewis Van Yard. Yeah, Van's shipyard, conveniently. Do battle. At the same time, the Millennium Falcon shows up to do battle. And then, with Lando, overrides the mining ships and self destructs them, killing all the stormtroopers on board. And Thrawn's just sitting there, like, hmm. 
this blows. Sound the retreat. <laughs> like at the end of the Patriot when Cornwallis sounds the retreat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but not only does uh but my um what Lando does to the mole miners also does they essentially destroy all the battleships that they they were connected to as yeah, well. Yeah, they sacrifice the ships in order not to lose not to not to lose them to Thrawn. Yeah. yeah. Which which granted is not the best result for Thrawn, but at the same time at least it takes it at commission for the Republic. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of a win. It's a nobody is a bittersweet ending to this book. For right. sure. Not as bittersweet as the next one. The next one, like, that's a dark ending. Yeah. Well, especially... Does Mara get hurt in this one? No. Mara's left on whatever the fuck the planet was. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Okay, right. yes. The end of the second one, that's when she's floating on space. Yeah. With Mini-Me flying by. Yeah, it's mini Marjade and Wally flying across, yeah. and Superman from Quest of Quest for Peace. <laughs> yeah, which, which I mean, this is like this is so not relevant, but what's always bothered me is the fact that Superman just flies in space. Like, I just something about it bothers me. It's just really Superman, like, have decency to at least like put like a baseball cap on or something. Well, in the animated series, he has spacesuit. Yeah, that was a little bit better. At least Green Lantern's gotta be like, well, I gotta put this ring bubble around me. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, <laughs> speaking of Justice League, you saw like those fifteen-second teasers that they dropped before the trailer, like introducing like each character, right? What do you like, mean? Warner Brothers put out these kind of teasers showing off like characteristics for each of the characters of the Justice League. Like, oh yes, yes. I like you see... you're talking about for the characters in this no, book, no, no, and no, I'm no, like, no, for no. Justice. <laughs> No, for Justice League, like, yeah, yeah. it would show, like, a Flash and the Speed Force. We see Aquaman, like, be Aquamoses and yeah, smart. Yeah. Somebody did that for um, Superman, and it's just the last frame of BVS with the coffin. And you keep <laughs> expecting the coffin to do something. <laughs> and it just ends with, like, like with the logo, it's just the Superman logo on the coffin at the oh, end. Oh, come on. You know Superman's going to come back to life. Of course he is. I just wonder if he's going to happen in the it's third like a, act or... Yeah, there's like a 110% chance. Yeah, I just wonder how he's going to come back and what yeah. he's, what's he going to do to the parademons and everything. So, they stop Thrawn. Thrawn pieces out. Talon Card is kind of like, all right, my, my place here is kind of room. We have to upend everything and get out of here because this place is not safe anymore. And the worst case, the worst news, Admiral Akbar has been arrested for treason. Right. That's how this book ends. Mm -hmm. Your feelings on the ending before we start talking about characters. I think the best thing these books do is the way they end. All three of them. I was very satisfied with the endings. Always. Even though they're cliffhangers, it, the book earned it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. The... Uh, Every single book does end well. I mean, this book it definitely ends very well to the point where it's like, okay. I need to know what happens. What's going on with Akbar? Yeah. What? Akbar's arrested? What did he do? Right. Did he have, like, calamari prostitutes and cocaine in his room? If only. <laughs> it's really just like a bowl of water with some goldfish. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, some fish food, exactly. <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's the big, like, uh, 
fish food shaker. He's just like, okay. <laughs> He's munching down on other calamari, and he becomes a cannibal. That's why he was arrested, because he ate part of his family. You debauched monster. Have you no decency? Oh, and I I should not be questioning my abilities here. (laughs) Mon Moffat just walks in with this disgusted look on her face. (laughs) I'm going to trust the bottom with the weird feathers who uh, fluctuates every time we questioned him about something. Are you eating calamari, uh, Admiral Akbar? Yes. It smells delicious, but that's just fucked up that you're doing that. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the kind of person just walk in the room to see what's happening. Just lo- look of utter contempt at at uh, what should we call it? The, the Monte Calamari. I forget his name. Akbar, and just be like, just just clean yourself up and come to my office and just turn around and walk out. Whew. That'd be something. But uh, uh, going back to what I was saying, this book ends very well and really gets you pumped for the second, well, oh, where yeah. the Dark Force rises. Mm-hmm. And like then the Dark Force rises and super well, it gets you in- into the last command. Yeah. All right, let's talk about characters. Luke. We mentioned this before. Luke is super naive still. I mean, yeah. he does not shake the farm, fresh off the farm attitude very well. Is that book. a detriment? It leads to stupid moments like the initial when we first get introduced to the uh, uh, the Nogrion Bitfash, I believe is the planet. Yes, I think you are that, right. Yeah. I, 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 why do I remember that planet? But I can't remember the planet that Talon Card's situated on. You know, plot device planet. Yeah. <sighs> so you spend a whole book in the like in the Bitfash. And a lot of the third book after that. No, too. you're on Bip Fash for like three, for one chapter, and you're like, okay, done. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the second. It's, the jung- it's like a jungle stuff. Yeah, like I don't remember. Wikipedia doesn't help me. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, they go back. I'm sorry, there was bad information. Okay, but no, but yes, it does bring Luke. It makes Luke a little bit sillier. That like (laughs) just a little sillier. Character, what a card! Talent card. (laughs) Okay, silly is not the word. (laughs) Yes, let's go. Stop the empire. Okay, I did say silly does not mean gay. Okay. Come on, R2. Let's get the boas ready for our, our X-Wing ride. The cheetah print cockpit seat. Rawr! <laughs> oh, this jumpsuit doesn't look good on me. <laughs> uh, I would say flamboyant. Right. You would not you would gay. <laughs> Rob. Well, uh, now that we've now that we've broken someone. <laughs> uh, no, I... I I actually like – I don't like Luke's naivete, but at least it kind of works for him with Mara Jade when he's in the forest. And, and Mara's like constantly paranoid that Luke's going to like snap her neck or something. And Luke's just like, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. I like what's going on here. So it like kind of disarms her because he's like, would you try to kill me or something? No. And he's like, no. If I kill you now, well, how would I ever look at your ass again? Oh, <laughs> <Priorities>. uh. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> No, but Luke is uh, Luke. 
Okay, despite the uh, audiobook, especially in this one, it gets better as the book goes on. He does sound like he's trying to Jedi mind trick everyone, but that's the audiobook. Yeah. Um, but you know, he does. He is still becoming a more more competent in the Force. You see him do yeah. more and more stuff with it, and it's fun seeing how he does develop himself from uh, Return of the Jedi to now mm-hmm. because there's a five years difference there, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, he he's much more competent, though he still has no idea what to do as a Jedi. Yeah. And I think, weirdly enough, despite the sort of arc that the Return of the Jedi has with Luke, I actually think that this trilogy really is the, the, the end of Luke finding himself as a Jedi. And you can tell that at the end of this third book, he emerges as a character who knows what he wants to be as a Jedi. He's, you know, firmly got his feet planted. and it, But it took a lot of shit to happen for him to figure out like this is what being a Jedi is um yeah and I agree that he is still very naive and is kind of finding himself but I think that I think that's kind of used perfectly because same thing with the movies that is done with the book that it's an easy in for the audience yes because everybody is already established by this point and their kind of characteristics and such that Luke is still being uncertain, and this is probably aimed kind of like towards a younger audience, because Star Wars is always kind of aimed towards mm-hmm. younger adults and everything. It can be enjoyed by all, but it's aimed for a younger... It's aimed for a new generation, the Pepsi-Cola generation. So, that kind of... That kind of... <laughs> characterization of this book, I think, is easy for the viewers to get... Or the viewers, the readers to get into. And... I think, and I do agree that he does get better as he goes, especially in the second book. I think he really comes into his own, mm-hmm. and as well as like, especially when he's dealing with Jorah Sabayoth to begin um, uh, on a face-to-face basis. So, what about Han Solo? Your feelings on his character characterization in this book? I think I think Han is exactly who Han is. I don't think he changes. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think he has to change. I think it's kind of cool to see Han become like the the concerned husband and father, but at the deep down, like Leia still is like Han's gonna be Han, gonna be the scoundrel. Yeah, that he always is. He's gonna be the way he is, and I think that's good. You know, it's not every character in every series has to have an arc. Right? No, like some people just know who they are. That that's who they are. Right. So, I like his character. Yeah, so Han is definitely the uh, anchor point, because you can do a lot more with Luke Skywalker, you can do a lot more with Leia, but you know you know what you're going to get with Han, and that's exactly, and the book kept true to what Han Solo, is, who Han Solo is. Mm-hmm. And it's fun, yeah, we make fun of his stroke out, like, it sounds like he had a stroke in the in, book. In the, vo- in the, in the audio book. In the audio book, and we jest and everything. Yeah, but, but it's still Han, it's very Han Solo, so his actions, his thought processes, and uh, some of his backwards logic, in a way. Like, we skipped over a part where uh, they're trying to get information on how to get to Talent Card, and they have a contact, but the only way to get to him, uh, but they have to warn the contact that the police of this planet's onto his ship. Mm-hmm. So, um... So Han Solo is like, okay, he's playing um, Sabat. I'm going to go in there and try to give him like hints that this is what's going on. So in a backwards backwards way, he warns the guy. Mm-hmm. It's not the most direct way, but it's a very intelligent way of without like blowing his blowing who they are. Yeah, you like know, you said, it's a Han Solo way. Yeah, it's a very Han Solo way. Mm-hmm. And 
as the polar opposite as the character has always been to Luke Skywalker, that he has so much experience, has so much world experience, world's experience, I should say, mm-hmm. and things that he can draw upon, and his instincts that really come through, especially starting in this book, and it definitely comes through in the second book, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see that, and like how the expanding universe is supposed to be, it's expanding it, it's world building, and we get to see more of that, and we get to see these characters in different situations, and it's fascinating to watch Han Solo torn between being the husband of a diplomat and being respectful to what the New Republic is supposed to be coming while still trying to see if he can have another foot in the smuggling world by trying to foster these contexts to help them out and everything like that, that he doesn't know where he belongs at this point. He's kind of like almost a little bit of an identity crisis and it becomes more and more prevalent throughout the next two books. But I think the seeds are planted here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like like what the Dravis calls him out like like you're you you've gone respectable respectable what does that mean <laughs> respectable means that both sides of your face work <laughs> <laughs> well fuck you too Dravis I'm gonna there's whiskey face he just pours <laughs> drink at once it's kind of like with two face drinks the drink and um. The Dark Knight, and he yeah. has to wipe the other side of his face because his mouth doesn't close all the way. Um, so yeah, Han's really good in this. Uh, Leia, Leia's interesting because he uh, Leia's interesting because it's like we we're used to Leia being like this really in command person and really enjoyable. There's some parts of this book where I actually didn't I didn't really care for her. Mm-hmm. Like she was over the top diplomatic, and it was just like, well, we know that you can get like your hands dirty here and very be very blunt. But I mean, granted, some of the situations she's put in, she has to be very diplomatic. But at the same time, it's like, get over it, right? Get over it. You're kind of in danger right now, so stop pussyfooting around with the diplomat stuff and get back to being the lay that we that we know. Yeah. So, is the reason why she's like kind of hesitant to do that and get that like hands dirty? Is it because she's pregnant now? No, because later books we see that she tries to do something and she's called out for being pregnant. And like, think about your pregnant children. And then she's like, well, that's not fair. Yeah. So a lot of action she does take is in like, okay, with the ch- with the children in mind. Mm. But it always seems like she doesn't, she still wouldn't mind doing things on, like doing things the rough and tough way. Yeah. So... I don't know. I like, I mean, but it's still Princess Leia that we know. It's just you want to see more of the Princess Leia that we know. Okay. Because it goes back to what she probably was before Episode 4. Right. Yeah. I think maybe, um, I don't know about what you guys feel, but I think her actually, her writing got better as the series progressed. Yes, I think this is all set up. Yeah, so it could just be that that the author, Timothy, Timothy Zahn, right? So yeah. His name. Maybe he just didn't quite have a handle on how to write Leia yet, and it took him another book to kind of get, really come to grips with how to write her. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could have been that issue. Because, yeah, I agree that some of her personification is not perfect. It's not a perfect, you know, copy of what I think Leia would do. And, yeah, some of her decisions are a little weird. But, again, if you put it in the perspective that, like, she, you know, the New Republic is really in trouble and someone has to be a diplomat, Maybe that's overriding her thoughts. I don't you know. There's a million things. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think she's probably one of the weaker characters in this book. Yeah. As crazy as that may sound. Yeah, the the, the probably the strongest of them all, willpower wise, anyway. Yes. And I, like I said, I feel like this is a good setup 
to a story that we're going to later see. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's uh, I think it's just an unfortunate. I don't think that's an intentional detriment. I think it's an no. unfortunate detriment for this characterization and for yes. for her. It just makes like going into the next book. You you could theoretically be like when you ever come back to her story, like I don't want to be here. And even though at one point, like I said before. When they kept coming back to her being on the No Grease planet, and I'm like, why are we doing with this? I feel like we're just like, the story is coming to a, a halt at this point. Yeah. But how things start to reveal itself, and how it, as Robbie pointed out before, that becomes the main thrust mm-hmm. of how the this series wrapped up. Right. It pays off. It pays off. And I think it, it's rewarding on repeated readings. Yes. I agree. I think, I think, I think it, it's like, oh... Oh, we get to go back to this part of the story. Oh, I love I love to see how this part develops and see how everything kind of plays out. I think that's the true magic of these books is like that storyline specifically and Leia being so intrinsically involved with that. Uh, Lando, I think a lot to me. Lando's like Han. He's he's Lando. He is he is maximum Lando. Yeah, <laughs> I mean nothing like too character wise to really. Uh, just to wax on poetically about, but yeah. he's still drinking Colt Forty Five. Of course, still drinking Colt Forty Five. <laughs> Make sure you pick up your cup of battery, Colt Forty Five. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Gotham, I'm a man of few words, but those words mean that mean a lot, and so are my actions. I told Tim once that you know, how, like Han, <laughs> how Han got the Millennium Falcon from. Uh, from Lando was a Sabat game. Yes. Which we'll probably see in the Han Solo movie. Yeah. But what happens if they were playing Edward's 40 hands? And oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would lose Edward 40 hands. Yes, so, he but would. But he somehow won because Chewbacca was willing to go the extra mile and let him be. <laughs> yeah. Chewie! I gotta take a piss. Don't you help him, Chewie. Don't you help him. <laughs> I've been wa- I know you've been wanting that bandolier. I'll buy you that bandolier. Just don't do this. <laughs> Chewie, I'm wanting you. I'll make you into a throw rug after this. <laughs> As I'm doing these impressions, my hands are like up like they're fucking taped. <laughs> with the, the 40 ounce uh, yeah. bottles. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I want to say... He's not, he's that chucking and jiving, but he's that, I want to say scheming, but he's just being his smooth self. smooth self and just somehow con this mining operation out of somebody, just like how he conned Bespin out of somebody, yep. most likely with the Sabat game, which is one of the be- the things I'm looking forward to the most with the Han Solo movie is that Sabat game where he gets he gains the Falcon, and they apparently yeah I'm pretty sure they're going to show it because I think it's going to take place over the course of several years. Um, in Han's life, yeah, it's not just going to be one long weekend where all these big events happen to him. And I'm curious to see how Woody Harrelson's going to be the mentor to young Han Solo. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, Borsk's failure, the Bothan, which we didn't talk too much about, but I he I feel like he's a character that kind of sits on the sidelines for this book. He really doesn't be very important until the next book. Yes. That's when he really is the spotlight is shown on his character. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it kind of like calls into question the Bothan species as a whole because 
The only other reference we have to the Bothans previously is the Return of the Jedi that Mon Mothma very dramatically delivers that the bo- many Bothans died to bring us this information. <laughs> As he has a moment of like how many Bothans died to get the information of the second Death Star. One Bothan. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, two Bothans. Ah, ah, ah. Three Bothans. Ah. Uh. <laughs> that was Darth Vader. One Bothan. Ah. Uh. Slayer. Uh, ah! Two Bothans. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just like that total that uh, hallway scene in Rogue One. But yeah. fun fact about that: that was if that was only shot forty four months before the movie was released. Yeah, oh, wow. that was part of one of the reshoots because they're like, okay, you got the plans, and the one of the directors were like, you know, we need something in between here. Right, right. So we have a Darth Vader suit. Let's just have fun with it. Just a raw murder. <laughs> And Disney was like, yeah, let's go for it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Yes, I want Darth Vader to go into a slaughterhouse. Oh. um, What's another word for another, like, term for a slaughterhouse? It's, um. Butchery? Butchery. No, no, it's another one. Um. Uh. No clue. Ah, oh, crap. It's going to come back to... I'm just going to wake people in the middle of the night. Yes, it will. And I'll be like, ah! And then, then my dad's going to be wondering why I'm shouting that word out loud. I, mean, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you're, you have the editor. Yes, I know. <laughs> and l- luckily, I have fact checker here going f- uh, at... Uh, what, full s- what Tim had meant to say at that moment was this word. Yes. We will search for other names for Slaughterhouse. Yes, a synonym for Slaughterhouse. Cinnabon. Cinnabon. Yeah, Cinnabon. Slaughterhouse cinnamon. Cinnamons, yes. Cinnamons. This is the letter A. Ad videos, you say. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't want that late video with Slaughterhouse. Uh, Stockyard. Abattoir. Abattoir, that's the one I'm looking for. Yes, I want want Darth Vader to turn that hallway into an abattoir. (laughs) That's what I was looking for. Man, you were like, hold on, I gotta dig this 40-foot hole to tell this joke. <laughs> you dug deep for that, Tim. But it was totally worth it, was it not? Yeah, alright, I'll give it. I rate that for I, did, I didn't even know what an abattoir was before it right now. Yeah, an abattoir. It's, it's, not only just, it's not only just for butchered animals, it's also for butchered people. <laughs> <laughs> I love how my sense of humor zeroed in on that word, so that says a lot about me, but... Moving on. Moving on. Yes. No. Borsk uh, Borsk does take a sideline seat in this bu- in this book. Uh, we're hints. We are given hints multiple times that this is a very dangerous character throughout it. Like he is scheming to get full control over the New Republic. Yes. And it, it it's definitely one of those characters that you have to keep your eye on. Mm-hmm. But his full his, I don't know his full um. Endgame plot. I don't know his motivations, schemes, <laughs> diabolicalness. I don't know. We don't know. I don't. No, really... I know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. like the full his it, full character isn't revealed until next book. No, and it's gonna and it's gonna even up to like the last chapter. His character's not fully revealed to what depths he's willing to go. Yeah, no. Uh, Timothy Zahn uses the full two, uh, book two to really flesh out who. Uh, uh, failure is right. Yes. Um, Joris Sabayoff. That's another character that kind of takes a back seat in this book. 
Like, do is I mean, do we see him in this book take control of a Tie Fighter Squadron? Yeah. Okay, we do. We, well, we, was, I know we did. We kind of skipped over that part. But. Yeah, no. So part of the reason why. Uh, let's real quick go back. Um. Uh, so. Uh, wow. Uh, Thrawn. Thank you. Why did I word. blink on Thrawn? I, I saw your face spe- spell the word. I'm like, it's Thrawn. <laughs> He's looking for, isn't it? So Thrawn. Thrawn's theory is the reason why the Battle of Endor failed was after the death of Emperor Palpatine, uh, the entire fleet just utterly fell apart. And that was because of Palpatine's ability to use the Force, and he and Palpatine made everyone more efficient through the Force to help def- end off the, uh, the Rebel attack. But once he died, it all fell apart, and the Rebels were able to overpower the 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 entire fleet. So Thrawn is now looking for a Jedi Master to help do the exact same thing to better ma- to make uh, his attacks more efficient. So that's why he goes looking for looking for uh, Sabayoth and offers him power because that's what he's going to give. And Sabayoth is like, you don't know what true power is. And Sa- and Thrawn later just like, well, he's lying because yeah. every man craves power. Mm-hmm. And that exactly, and that's a little foreshadowing to what exactly eventually happens because Sabayoth eventually does try to take complete control of everything. Yeah. So, but it, but Sabayoth is used very much to set up the fact that um, he wants Luke Skywalker, uh, Leia, and the two and her two twins because he wants to teach them and be their mentors. Yeah. yeah. He wants to train the next generation of Jedi. Um, but, you know, he's not all there. No. He's very clearly not all there. And also, he another clue that he's not exactly the best person in the world, he's able to shoot Force Lightning. Right. Which is only a trick that only Dark Jedi can do. Right. Yes. So, it's like, okay. Now, maybe. this theory that Emperor Palpatine was secretly helping... The entire Empire? Yeah, like, fleet during that battle... Thoughts on that? Do you think that actually, like... It would actually make sense. It would actually really make sense that the entire fleet set this near-perfect trap for the Rebels Mm. and just completely falls apart. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of things that would have to go wrong, and one of those things is, like, the efficiency just randomly just drops. They got too cocky or overconfident. Because the battle does... Aim Return of the Jedi turns rather quickly in space. Yeah, it just on a, on a dime, it just flips around. It's like, oh, oh, god! And I, and I think it happens when, uh, right after Palpatine gets thrown down the shaft, and like the A wing accidentally kamikazes itself into the Super Star Destroyer's like bridge, and that crashes into this another. Identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it gets really messy, so that's why I really think that it is a, there's something to that, mm-hmm. and Palpatine being so controlling. It makes sense that he would do something like that, yeah. right? And but it also one thing that I really respected by that thought process is to show how powerful Palpatine was because he effortlessly did that. Mm. But it takes Sabayoth so much concentration and almost to the point of pain to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I I like that. I kind of like that little bit in there. Yeah, and I think too. So yeah, Sabayoth really doesn't come into his own in this story. I think everything you've said is perfectly accurate. For his character, but I think even beyond that, it, uh, I don't know, it, it does a good job of, 
of supporting Thrawn's and Paleon's hypothesis that like we can't accept any subpar recruits because Palpatine was able to turn average, you know, soldiers into excellent soldiers. Mm-hmm. We don't okay, we don't have that ability to do that. Everybody needs to be excellent mm-hmm. all the time because we don't have this magic force to help us out. We have to do it on our own merits. And yes, they have Sabaoth, but he's not the silver bullet to their problems. No, and I think that's why that Thrawn's been having these kind of like guerrilla warfare attacks. The hidden made, the hidden yeah. made like do sharpen the tools of every pilot they have at that yes, point. Correct. But go on. So yeah, no, I just I just think that he's not a character that comes in his own, but I think that it's he's an, he has an interesting dynamic that we'll see what happens later. Yeah, <laughs> and going back to what you saying, both of you guys are saying, yeah, I think there's. A lot of intrigue around him that you want to know about more. And correct me if I'm wrong, we know that George, he's a clone in this book. Yeah. Um, Do we? Yeah. Um, right after they get after they meet up with Sabaoth, um, Pelion questions. questions Thawne, like, what the hell are you doing with this guy? He's crazy. And Thawne goes, of course he's crazy. He's a clone. He's like, what? what? It's like... The original right. Sabaoth was his first name was pronounced uh, uh, Doris Sabaoth. This one's pronounced Darius Sabaoth. Yeah, and also the cloning back way back then wasn't as, wasn't as good, and they were a little they were soft known, in the head. Yeah, they were known to have psychological problems, psychological problems, emotion, uh, lack of emotional control, and all that. Okay. Which Darius yeah, Sabaoth explicitly exudes, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and another thing with, like, Leia, like, and, and with Faye, it seems like they were set up, they, they were giving interesting moments in this book, but it's not until the next book where it really becomes their stories and everything, and yep. those plot lines really become focal points of those, of that book. Um, we'll touch on Thrawn Palian right here, mm-hmm. before, we're like, we start to wrap up. I know we talked about a lot about Thrawn, but, like, any last words on him? In this book, within the context of this book, um, I, th- I think Palian is is a good sort of foil to Thrawn because he's kind of like the the key for the audience to understand Thrawn's like inscrutable intelligence. Because anytime Thrawn does something weird, Palian's like, uh, "What are you doing?" And so it's a good opportunity for the audience to like kind of get in pick brain Thrawn's brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like, why does he look at this art, for example, and like? Why is he doing this thing when he does this thing? And like even even after Thrawn gives the order to retreat after the Sluice Van attack, I think Palian even asks him, "Why did you retreat?" So like it, it just goes to show you like it, it's he, Palian acts as a good cipher for the audience to like just understand the Thrawn character. Not that Palian itself has no character, obviously. I think he's he's a cool guy because he's kind of like an old guard. And mm-hmm. that you know, to me, Palian is like the 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 drill sergeant. He's been around for a long time. People kind of don't question him because he just has experience. But there are still people above him. He's not the drill sergeant is not the highest rank in the military. No. But he but he's got that sort of respect from people who have been like, okay, you've been in the imperial military for like twenty years, so like you know you've been around. So he's a cool character in that way. Do you think there's maybe some kind of resentment from Pelion towards Thrawn because Thrawn being a of a newer thinking, a newer guard, and it comes to military strategy? I think if there was any, by the time the book rolls around, that's been dispelled. Okay. Maybe perhaps a, a, an earlier stage before the book starts, Palian may have had those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But 
there's no question that once he sees him in action, he's like, okay, this is a, I'm not on his level. Right. I don't know if you guys feel any differently. No, I agree. Uh, maybe in the beginning of the book, I think in the beginning of the book when we're introduced to Pelion, he's more apprehensive because of being in the presence of Thrawn because of just he's intimidating. Yes. I mean, he is... Having his, Rook right there, too. Rook doesn't help, but even in the presence of Thrawn, who with his gleaming eyes, like gleaming, calculating red eyes, it's just like, oh, God, he can, like, he can see right through me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I... But as the two continue on, they have, like... Uh, Pelion has undying respect for uh, oh, yes. Thrawn. Yes. And Thrawn comes to respect Pelion as well. I mean, Pelion for me is not only like the old guard, but he is the flag bearer of the empire of the em- empire na- empire's navy because he believes in so so much of what they're doing, and it's kind of really kind of hard not to like the character because he truly believes in his cause. Yeah, and his un- his his seasoning in this war. Um, helps helps with that. He he knows the military strategy, and because of that, he then ends up questioning Thrawn because it's like this is one kind of this is not really what I would expect to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And then obviously, I agree with you that he kind of serves as the audience, kind of like, why are you doing this, Thrawn? Right. And then Thrawn kind of like, okay, well, here I'll let you guess why. Mm-hmm. So going back to what we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, which seems like forever ago. Um, it's almost like Thrawn is grooming Pelion to like kind of take yeah. a, take the next step. Yes. yes. But Thrawn, in general, I thought is one of the best fictional characters I think I've ever read. It's cool. He's real cool. Really yeah. cool character. Really like it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> You'd follow him to battle, and like he can talk to you and be like, "All right, we're gonna take that. Right. We're gonna." It's like we're... you're really reading it, going like the. Re- the Republic has zero chance against this guy. We're going to clap and bark like a chicken while doing that. And I'm not going to question it because I think you, you, you proved yourself before. So I'm going to follow you into this battle. Yeah. Which in the other, in the next couple of books, we will see, we'll see pretty much that. Yeah. Not the clap and bark, buck like a chicken. But yeah. But I'm saying like, if he throw an ash to do that, you do it. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about Pelion, that he is so determined and so, believes in his cause it's like you see somebody passionate about something that you find kind of intriguing and Mm -hmm. somebody expressing their feelings for it and why they do it you kind of help you can't like but kind of fascinated by that person like say like like oh i like oh i love chess and this is why this is why i play chess and this is and how i do it or this is why i collect certain things and and keep a collection of say fresh like old typewriters or what have you and the reason why and, and the the kind of love and affection they show for you like wow that's kind of admirable and it's something that you'd like wish you could have that kind of affection for something Pelion for the imperial navy and so steadfastly believes in it like you said is something that you're like all right i can understand i can't it's like oh he's he's simply the villain yeah because up until this point we've never seen any Imperial uh, military figure like that. No, the only uh, imperial person that we ever really kind of got behind with Darth was Darth Vader, right? And, and he was, and he was always like a step away from the military because he was still part. He was still a figure of the Force that was kind of like 
on the Emperor's behalf. Yeah, but uh, only up until the second book did we really start connecting with him because he was just the bad guy in the first movie. Yes. So in the second movie, then you start kind of characterizing him as, okay, I kind of get where this guy's coming from. Right, because like in they kinda... New Hope, it's, it's Grand Moff Tarkin's show. Yeah. And Vader's the muscle. Yeah. And then, and how it's hurt by season, especially seeing him just a weird sorcerer that they keep around. Yeah, and then the second movie, it's really like Darth the Darth Vader show. Yeah, I mean, hell, that's why the Imperial theme comes into its own in the second movie. Mm-hmm. The power and everything, but yeah, no, but yeah, no, just the two characters, Thrawn and Pelion, are a really great duo. I really, really yes. like them in this in the series. As do I, but unlike what we were saying with the other characters, that kind of come into their own in the next book, Thrawn hits the ground running in his characterization and his motivation and his attributes to him that makes him immediately fascinating that you're like as soon as you're done with yeah. this book you want like alright what's his next plan yeah, because, what's the next thing he's got because sleeve? the book opens up with an initial attack um they're being attacked by a by a, I forget the race but they were doing a data dump and they got caught yeah and now the TIE pilots are coming back and Pellion went to tell Admiral this is what's happening uh, what's happening at Thrawn's like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And Pelion's like, what? Seriously? <laughs> Serious, Batman? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, trust me, do it. Just and then, do it. And me. then watch. And then, but then that whole battle unfoils and you're going like, and even Pelion's going like, I don't get it. Why did something so stupid like that work? And he's like, study art. Study art, Captain Pelion, study art. Fortune and glory, short round. Fortune, Fortune and, and glory. glory. When he had full control of his face. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts on Heir to the Empire. Wow, what a great first book for a great trilogy. Uh, had I been reading these as they came out, I would have thought to myself, shit, I need this book right now. Luckily, I could have gotten that book right now, but I imagine they first came out. You were shit out of luck. I don't know. Yeah, if... it was 91 was the first one. I think 92 was Dark Force Rises. And then I think I presume 93 was The Last yeah. Command. Oh, that was back when authors produced their books in a timely manner. Zing! <laughs> Do I feel like that's a slide against uh, George R. R. Martin there, yeah. sir? Uh-huh. Yes. Subtle! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but in all seriousness, I think, yeah, it's an excellent, it's an excellent start. I think it's a really good book. And I think it's even... I don't think the book is too much up its own ass about Star Wars that you couldn't recommend this to someone who's just like, yeah, I like the movies. I think you if even someone if someone is like that, you could easily hand this to him and be like, okay, well, I think you'd probably like this. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has a broad enough reach because the characters are so good. Yeah. yeah, it's not like you go into it and you need five years of continuity to get into. Like unlike right. say say like comic books where it's like right. all right, where that's why like most comic books the first page or two is the exposition of everything being set up. Right. Like, this you, like, jump right into. Like, luckily, this is, like, my first, like, book introduction that I finished because I have read a little bit of, like, like the Han Solo trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and, um, which I think once we're done with this trilogy, I think we should do that next. But we're getting very ahead of ourselves. So, Dakota, final thoughts on this book. Um, I have to agree with you guys. It's a great first book to a gr- tremendous series. Yeah, uh, Tim and I bragged on it a little bit. But that was the audio book really, like... Not, not finding its voice yet. Yeah, not finding its voice yet because it dragged on Kashyyyk because of the vo- because of how it was read. Uh, There's certain parts that did drag out a little bit, but as a, overall, it was a really great introduction to this trilogy and really great introduction to two to 
Thrawn being just one of the best one of the best villains I think I've ever read. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can't can't complain. There's very small things to complain about, but they're all just petty. Yeah, and like I've always said, like the Star Wars New Hope is my favorite of the version of the Star Wars movies. <clears throat> I don't think I can say that, but this being my favorite book in this trilogy, no, it's not. I know it's not my favorite book in this. In well, we'll reveal that by the time we finish the third book and which one we enjoy the most and such. But yeah, I think it's a tremendous start to a great series and. Every person who has a remote sense they want more out of Star Wars, I don't think there's a better place to start than this. No. Great. All right. Now, Dakota, if you want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Okay, this time I actually was prepared and got the titles ahead of time. Oh, so good! I'm not just standing here like, I think it's this. So if you want to check out my drawings and comics and also some of my reviews, head over to dwdrawings.deviantart.com. And if you want to check out my... Just my reviews to go over to cartoonbinge.blogspot.com. Up right now is my review of the Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro movie, which is was directed by Miyazaki, his first full length movie, by the way. Huh, very Shit. nice. Yeah. Uh, I have, man, I have zero social media presence. I know. Find me on Facebook as Robert Effinger. Otherwise, you can send me an email at rfinger1 at fordham.com. Don't send me your job opportunities, please. <laughs> well, unless they're good job opportunities. But if you want to tell me about the sweet telemarketing gig, which I've received multiple times, I, I'm not interested. Thank you. That's that's very clear and succinct. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 Follow this uh, podcast on Twitter at GingerGeekPod. That's under Anything Goes. Uh, you can follow my Facebook and YouTube pages under the same uh, name of Through the Lens Productions. If you like this podcast here on iTunes, subscribe to it so you can get immediate downloads. And if you enjoy it that much, leave us a five-star review if you think we deserve it. Because that- We deserve it. Yeah. I mean, all the work we put into this, it, you don't get the shrieking voice of me just randomly, you know? Yeah, I know. It, 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 that's talent, you know, to shriek. Shriek and stumble over my own words. Yeah. And I mean... We, I, I, and to arrange it, getting everybody here and, and making sure everything's read by this point and having everything kind of like notes prepared, I think we deserve it. Yeah. And I bring Pepsi. Yeah. The choice of the new re- <laughs> revolution. <laughs> rebellion. <laughs> the new republic and the new rebellion. Uh, revolution. <laughs> so, hope everybody's enjoyed this review of Star Wars The Heir to the Empire. Um, come back next time we'll be talking about more geek and pop culture I'm Tim the host of the show Anything Goes and we'll talk to you soon Ah!